in real estate specifically, there's a lot more sentiment, I feel like. And so if you can hook somebody with a, with a high value piece of rapport quickly, you're a lot better off than just dishing a, a script that you manufacture over and over and over. And so that was my approach when I started in acquisitions and it worked really, really well. And then after I would hook, I would drop oh, by the way, I used to play baseball. <laughs> and, then they would, and then it was a, it was a remembrance thing. It was like, oh, I remember Sam, the guy that played baseball, that also used to have this rapport item or we also have this in common. So it was like an instant like hook, line, sinker of, oh, here's the guy that called me. This was a differentiator. Like I knew who he was. And so next time he calls back, I would just, I wouldn't have to ask like, Hey Steve, this is Sam again. I would literally just be like, "Hey Steve, how you doing? Like, what's what's going on at the property?" And he'd be like, "Oh, hey Sam." Like it would it was it wouldn't take me four calls to get on a first name basis, and so that like that was the instant success in acquisitions that I had. You're listening to Rio Radio, the nationally trusted name in real estate investing. We dig deep to discover investors' why in real estate. If you want to skip all the BS and get in investors' heads, you're in the right spot. Be one of the thousands to check out RioRadio.com. Owen, back at the table once again. <laughs> Finally. Face to face. We had yeah. a little, you know, I think we say this quite often, but we had we had a little hiatus. But you know, we've been actually du- doubling up some podcasts lately. We had a we had a little holiday break, yes. which was which was good. Coming back with fresh new ideas, good good interview questions, hard hitting stuff. Uh I'm excited. I'm, I knew Sam was gonna be a good podcast. Oh yeah, he was really good. I I mean, we've ran into him numerous times at the meetups, uh specifically the meetup that you and Colin run. Uh, the Omaha Real Estate Meetup Group. Uh, he's been down there. I uh, he he gave me a little bit of a look when I when I couldn't uh, that I forgot that he was a baseball player. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you know who I am? <laughs> kind of one of those looks. We talked about this, yeah, <laughs> bro. And I'm like, I'm like, yes, that's right. You played for St. Louis, and I didn't remember the Mets, but now I do. <laughs> but uh, Sam, I mean, great, great guy, great personality, uh, go getter. I uh, man, I tell you what, and tell me what you think about this, but to be, I mean, only what 0.5% of athletes will become a, a professional athlete, mm-hmm. right? Or maybe I, I'm just throwing a number. I'm like guessing. Carson. Yeah. Yeah. Like Carson. Right. And, and, but also, you know, I think the same thing with the investors, you know, what it, there's only like a small percentage of investors, maybe 1% that, uh, that goes to the level that maybe you or or Sam has gone to right, you know, where you're getting hundreds of units, right? Mm, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I would agree with that. I mean, it, it's not not everybody has has that, that capacity to do that, mm-hmm. and I, I think that you know that or the, or the craziness or <laughs> interest in it. Well, I mean, <laughs> but, but it, it, you know, he's our second athlete that we've interviewed, and I and I think that you'll find that these people that are uh, have gone all out, you know, seen the stardom and whatever they got, they whatever they got into is the same type of thing with real estate investing. You know, the, it they're all in, and, they, and they're treating it like like they're going to the gym and and training for this big event. Yeah, I I would agree with that, and I think there's an inherent uh, competitiveness that most successful high level athletes have that you can't, you know, you you just can't create that. You either have it or you don't, and I think that competitiveness. Uh, that was instilled in him whenever, you know, when he was a little kid or whatever, he just has that it factor that 
you can't teach. Isn't it, isn't it great, Dennis, how Owen can just take the words that I'm trying to get out and just <laughs> articulate them so much better than me? <laughs> it just happens. He has that power to access those vocabulary. You know? Thanks, Ted. <laughs> I'm a thesaurus, a, te- a Teddy thesaurus. I don't, Owen's like, I, I got what you want to say, and I just want to condense it down to this really short, concise, good-sounding segment right here. Uh, I do what I can, man. But uh, I mean, I mean, I was just blown away, and it, I think you guys are gonna love the fact that he's doing um, he's doing storage units, he's doing multifamilies, he's doing syndications. I mean, what, am I missing anything there? No, well, and he's carved out a niche as an acquisition specialist for a really active syndicator in in town uh, with a couple guys we've had on before, Colin Schwartz and Chris Pomerleau. Mm-hmm. He talks about how that came to be and what his role in the grand scheme of things with their business is. So he kind of has a bunch of stuff going on. So he's got like a lot of different streams of income that he's been able to generate in a short amount of time. He's been doing this two years. Yeah. It's insane. I mean, listener out there, if there is one, check out his story (laughs) because this is bananas. I mean, two years and this guy has just broken through all kinds of barriers that most people just don't ever get to ever. And, and he's done it in such a short amount of time. And he really just echoes what uh, Colin and Chris Pomelu, um, Colin, Colin Schwartz and Chris Pomelu have been saying about partnerships and not trying to do every single thing on your own, mm-hmm. you know, on your own strength, but understanding how to leverage other people's strength. And that could, you be see how that could create the kind of exponential growth. I mean, Colin has been doing this. Colin Schwartz has been doing this for what, five, six years? Mm-hmm. Look at the level that he's on as well. So it's like Sam's trajectory is almost similar to to Collins and could even surpass his own if it is he continues on the path that he is based on the the two year record that he has. I completely agree with you, and I would I would just add this this puts a total exclamation point on the who not how theory of approaching life because he and you'll hear this in the uh, in the interview, but. He talks about how he strategically, consciously made the decision to seek out people that were really high-level achievers in whatever he's interested in. So in real estate, he sought out people that he thought were you know close to the level that he wanted to be at, and then ingra- basically ingratiated himself with those people. And look at him two years later. I mean, he's leveraged partnerships and, and high-level people. Uh, I think this is a case study on how to build relationships that can just throw rocket fuel on your investing trajectory. One thing that Owen and I were talking about right after the podcast is I go, if we could pull a golden nugget out of this, uh, Sam talked about going to the real estate meetups and just sitting back and paying attention to see who everybody flocked to. And because mm-hmm. it's funny if you you do see that everybody kind of just circles around certain people in, in, in there, uh, they want to be around them. And he's like, I just kind of sat back, waited five minutes, and uh, and just took it all in, watched who everybody's going to do, made notes on it, and then and then made it a point to personally go out to him, use my tagline that I'm a ba- uh, I was a professional baseball player to get their attention, and then get their cards, and then I I blew them the heck up for the until I got to sat, sit down with them, <laughs> and Owen being one of those people, yeah, that's right, yeah, and you know, interestingly enough, like that, what his strategy is literally a mastermind on how to is like elevator pitch. And he has like a great elevator pitch already figured out when he was going into those conversations. So it's like he was so prepared and ready to to really 
grasp whatever comes his way after that has started. Now the conversation has started. Now, so I mean that that was just so good that he the way he he thought about his um, elevator pitch. Quote yeah, that. he made he figured out a trick to make himself eminently memorable when he's meeting people that he could follow up with later and makes you know make something happen with. Yeah. So I think that's a really neat. Yeah, it's a really neat little kind of trick that mm. I don't know that I've ever really heard anybody describe it that way, but it's genius. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, good stuff. I think, I think we all agreed that we equally enjoyed that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Owen, a question I always like to ask you is, have you had any good lunch meetings or any anything happening in your life over the last week? Oh, man. You know what? I met a guy named Michael Maley. Do you know Michael Maley? I do know Michael Maley, yeah. Not Mark Molly, but Michael Maley. The real estate agent. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, he's got his uh, got his own team with uh, Berkshire. Yeah, I, I, I was just doing a deal with him that unfortunately fell through last week. Oh, no kidding! Yeah, on San- Sanjay's house. Oh, bummer. <laughs> well, uh, so I had I had never met uh, Michael, and we we had lunch, and wow, that guy has done a lot. Of, did you know he's a developer too? Like I, he he has M two uh, construction, M two development. I can't remember the name of it exactly, but Michael Maley, so M squared. Yeah. Uh, but man, he's done some really cool stuff. He was, he's really smart, knows a lot of people. Like I was just, it was strange that I had never run into him before for some reason. I first met him not knowing who he was, but we, we met at the cigar bar and, uh, Weird. yeah. And, uh, we, we just got, uh, kind of shooting the wind. This is a couple years ago though, but, uh, and since then our paths have crossed a few times, but, uh, I mean, I don't know if he would remember my name by seeing me uh, directly just because. You know, oh, you, he's a podcast fan. Is he? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> Got him roped in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, yeah, we we had lunch for, geez, probably two hours, talked about all kinds of stuff. We possibly may do business together in some way. Um, so that was that was a great meeting. I've had a few others, too. But uh, what, what, what about you? You had any uh, sit downs? Anything going on this week? Well, I, you know, I'm uh, so. As soon as I leave this uh, recording, I'm actually heading out to Minnesota. Uh, Minnesota. Minnesota. And uh, we're, my, we're family's a big uh, Vikings fan, so we're going to go down to the game down there. And uh, this is going to – usually this is kind of like the Christmas gifts. It's a quick little weekend vacation for mm-hmm. the wife and I. Unfortunately, um, my wife has been progressively not feeling well and then uh, w- woke up last night with a f- full-out flu. Ooh. So I uh, and uh, my I called my son up or called my son up. I went to my son's room, went and told him, "I'm like, hey, uh, so mom's not feeling well, and uh, do you want to skip school and go to Minnesota to see a Vikings game?" He's probably like, <laughs> "No, Dad, I want to get my learn on, <laughs> get my learn on." <laughs> and so yeah, he's pretty he's pretty stoked. We, you know, I dropped him off at school. He's like, "I'm not gonna be at the basketball game this Saturday. I'm gonna be at the." Vikings game sitting second row. <laughs> so you're leaving today? Yeah. Oh, awesome. You get, I get back uh, Monday night. Yeah. Uh, so got an Airbnb down there. Uh, you know, funny fact, and you guys are probably going to laugh at this. I've never booked an Airbnb. <laughs> what? <laughs> you're kidding me. I'm I dead serious. So. I'm dead serious. I have so. <laughs> only stayed in hotels. What? <laughs> what? Yeah. You are Mr. Airbnb. You've never rented an Airbnb. S- S- nope. So I purposely found one that I <laughs> that w- from a super host, and so I can see the experience that yeah. they provide, and a bit, oh, we can kind of get some comparisons on what I do. Yeah, I was like, I was like little market research, huh? I, I could not believe I've never booked one. <laughs> I can't eat. That is, that's weird. You got to admit that's really weird. It's really weird. So, uh, well, that's fun. Yeah, so it'll be a good opportunity for me to. I, I already kind of noticed like how they did their intro notes and everything. Like I'm like, I need to maybe copy some of this. 
and and then put this on mine, uh, kind of the layout and expectations. I really liked what they had. Cool. Yeah. So, well, that'll be fun. I'm sure Carson's pumped. He's super pumped. Yeah. So you get like I think I don't know if he's more pumped about missing school or or <laughs> going to the game. Yeah, probably a little beach. <laughs> that just heightens the experience when you're cutting school. Also. So what about uh, today's golden, golden nugget? nugget? Today's golden nugget is brought to you by JM Real Estate Capital. Hi, it's Rob, JM Real Estate Capital. We're the money guys that you need to know for all your real estate investments. Talk to us. We can do what your local bank can't or won't do. We don't have millions. We have trillions with a T to lend. 844-WE-CLOSE or go online at jmrecapital.com. That's jmrecapital.com. JM Real Estate Capital, smart solutions for the real estate investor. So this kind of dovetails with what you were saying earlier about Sam in his approach to getting involved with uh, people at meetups. So we have a couple of guests from the Des Moines, Iowa market that are going to be on our, our upcoming podcast. I actually had a meeting in Des Moines with a developer and, uh, and the Foley. So I went up there earlier this week, I think on Tuesday. And before I went, I was like, you know what? I might as well go up a little early and see if I can you know, meet some other investors. So I got on their Facebook uh, meetup group page and just said, pop up uh, lunch meetup. Here's, you know, here's where it is. Anybody interested in coming and talking real estate, you know, let me know. So like six people showed up and we had a really good, really good conversation. I learned a lot about Des Moines, the local stuff going on, met some multifamily investors, developer, a couple of commercial brokers. It was just an awesome, you know, little jam session. Love that. Got done with that, went to the developer meeting and then hit the road and came home. My point to this is if you are traveling anywhere and you have, you know, a few hours to kill or something like that where you don't necessarily have an activity planned, get on the city's real estate investor meetup. And I guarantee you any, there's, any, a, there's a RIA in every yeah, city. Any city of any size either has a RIA or several meetup groups or a meetup group or, or some combination of those. Get on those pages and just say pop up meetup and then whatever time you have available and where you're going to be. And you never know, you might be able to, you know, make some contacts that you could end up, uh, you know, getting a partnership out of it or a deal or, you know, hard money loan or whatever. Well, just right? even locally, you know, we used to do that all the time. Yeah. But we have not had that happen I know. in in months. Yeah. If not, I mean, six months. I, I feel like I felt personally attacked with that statement. But, but we, we, I will get on We that. used to do like pop-up. Uh, yeah, pop-up happy hours. Happy hours and lunches. Yeah. And remember one time we, we met down at the uh, Blackstone and, I mean, we had like 20 people there. Yeah. That was a good time, and that was uh, the first when that happened. That was the first time I met um, uh, Chris. Oh no, kidding! Yeah. So. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, that was at uh, the food hall. Yeah, yeah, that we went to Switch. Yeah, Switch, Switch food hall. Yeah, yeah, good times. Yeah. All right, I need to get I need to get back on the stick and do that again. So, so. not to get too technical, Owen, but did you specify that you were an out of state investor, outside investor coming in to meet and network with local investors? I did not necessarily spell out who exactly I was. I, I wanted to go in there as mystery man, Demolis. Okay. That's what I was that's what I was going for. No, I, I just said, you know, local or I coming into town, would love to talk real estate investing if anybody's interested in in coming out for a meetup at lunch. You so know? coming into town basically yeah. specifies that you are from out of town. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. That's, good. Oh, there you go. Thank yeah, you, sir. Kind of like Santa Claus. <laughs> uh so that is today's golden, golden nugget. nugget. <laughs> well, without any further ado, let's get into today's podcast with Sam Tavis. 
Tavis like Davis. Or Tuis. Tuis. I mean, however you want. However you want. I would say Tuis. <laughs> Sam, thanks for coming to the podcast. Uh, we've been talking about this for at least a couple, last couple events that we've uh, mm-hmm. attended. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if Owen remembers a lot of those events. Anymore. Probably not. No. <laughs> Who is this person? Our, like, our second professional athlete that we that has graced our uh, illustrious studio here. You go. How about that? I didn't know that. How about them apples? What? What? Oh, yes, I did. You played football, right? No, baseball. Oh, baseball. Jeez, yep. Ted. Oh, yep. and you played for St. Louis. Yes, correct. See, it's all correct. coming together. Yeah. <laughs> Look, see who does all the prep work he, here. Who gave him an old fashioned? And he remembers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember uh, us talking about that now. Right? But that we had that discussion like four yeah. or five months ago, and it yep. was it was over a few old fashions after the after party of. Correct. Of, of the meetup, yep. it's probably actually when I went skidding down the street. I think it was that day, <laughs> and I and I got this scar on my arm. Road rash. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm pretty sure it was that day. It, it very well could have been. Speaking of scars, you are the only person I have talked to in person that has had not one but two Tommy John surgeries. Correct. Yep. Should Tell have been us, three. I, I would love yeah. to hear about what happened. So you were a pitcher in yep. the St. Louis Cardinals and prior to that New York Mets organization uh, correct or did the I The Mets that? prior to the the Cardinals were prior to the Mets. Okay, gotcha. Yep. So you yep. you're uh you had your first surgery when? Which team were you My for? first surgery was actually uh my junior year of college uh we were in California playing Cal State Fullerton, so kind of powerhouse was a big deal and uh in the first inning uh big big blowout so tore my elbow up and then I, I ended up getting surgery in um let's see it was it was march it was it was march 11th it was my younger brother's birthday um uh went down to florida saw dr andrews got surgery then and then ended up getting drafted in june so i got drafted out of college with surgery so my first full year of pro ball uh, was actually rehab so it was a uh, so you tore experience. you tore your UCL mm-hmm. and got drafted while you were in the rehab process. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I was. I, well, I don't. This is everybody likes to kind of toot their own horn in this department. But toot I away. was supposed to be a a high round draft pick. The the Baseball America stuff that came out uh, to start the year in 2016. I was supposed to be a late first round pick. Oh, Early second you, round pick, and, and so you tore yep. it, and you ended up dropping to eighth. Correct. Eighth round? Yep. 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 Eighth round pick, and uh, I, it all worked out for the best. But it was a it did was, it though. Well, that's in the eye of the beholder. I mean, I mean, that's just like one of those things. Values in the eye of the beholder. I mean, this so could be barstool sports right now. It's could like be a radio. Could be, but oh well. You know, it's all <laughs> well, we're glad to have you. We're glad, we're glad the surgeries <laughs> didn't end up working. Uh, so you did you did the one. Now here's one thing I've never uh, really quite wrapped my mind around. Tommy John surgery is mm-hmm. there's a, 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 a ligament in your elbow called the ulnar collateral ligament or so UCL. Wow. And if you're, this guy go. Yep. if you're a pitcher, uh, you know exactly what that is. So mm-hmm. I, I pitched for a Juco, but, uh, not, this is a, not a big deal. This is the most modest yeah. I've ever heard, heard well, him talking about. Not a big deal at all. Uh, but yeah, so the UCL, when you, when you tear that, there was a surgeon named Dr. James Andrews that, uh, the first, patient that he performed ligament replacement surgery for the UCL was a guy named Tommy John. Mm-hmm. And he was a good major league baseball pitcher. And uh, he became famous for that. So James Andrews performed probably thousands by now uh, yep. of those surgeries. Yep. And what's weird is it doesn't seem like anybody else has picked up the 
Like, you know, you would, you would think there'd be like McDonald's and Burger King, Dr. James Andrews and <laughs> Dr. <laughs> Elbow Guy or whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, he so, is the staple. He yeah, is. he's the guy. Yep, he is. There, there's multiple, there's a, uh, there's multiple docs that'll do it. One out in California, I think his name's Dr. Elatrosh. There's uh, Andrews is, is one of the big ones. And then there's uh, Paletta in St. Louis, actually. Uh, when I got my second one, there were discussions whether I was going to go to Andrews or Paletta. Um, so there's other guys that have references, but not like Dr. Andrews. He, he is the McDonald's of the UCL. Yeah, well, he's more like Pottery Barn versus, uh, you know, what's a <laughs> – like Marshalls. Yeah, right? that's, I that's mean, fair. That's yeah, fair. so yep. when you're going down your list of people who are yep. going to be opening your elbow up and replacing a ligament, <laughs> yeah. you probably don't want to go with the cheapest. Kind of yeah. like contractors on you're a right. high-end flip. Type. You're right. Uh, so <laughs> thanks, but here's, here's what I wanted to ask you. So they have to get the ligament that they're replacing uh -huh. from somewhere and they yep. get it generally from your leg. Is that right? Uh, dead bodies. Well, potentially cadavers are, are, I think cadavers are a thing. And I think there was like a, I think Matt Harvey, when he got his done, there was some, the dark night horse something like, he, Oh wow. <laughs> I, okay. Was, I think it was sarcastic, but there's actually a, I don't have it anymore because they took both of mine because I've had two. But here, you guys stick out your stick out your hands like this. So if you pinch right here, <laughs> Dennis get this one. Yeah, Dennis <laughs> is getting it. So this right here, that's called your palmaris longus. Huh. Okay, and it stretches about up to here. You don't need it. So if you look on my arms, I've got a oh, scar right there and a scar right okay. there. So they go in, cut here, cut here, cut here, cut here, and they fish hook it and. and you really don't feel it because you don't need it. I mean, it, it's sore because they're obviously removing something, but like you don't lose any functionality. I huh. mean, they, they took it out of my same arm and just put it in my elbow, and it was fine. That's weird. So yeah, surgeons are creative, you know. Yeah, I mean, you think they would you know, take like your appendix or something else you don't need and <laughs> yeah. like kind of scab that in there as well. Yeah, but yeah, whatever. they do take it from your hamstring every now and again, but that's a lot longer rehab process because you got to learn how to walk, talk. Do other things. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> oh man, good start to this podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you tell us about the kind of trials and tribulations of playing minor league baseball, though. I'm really, really curious about this. So, you got, yeah, you played ball. You were probably, you went to Waverly High School, correct? I went and, to Waverly and, High School. Uh, yep. So, small, smaller school in mm -hmm. the state of Nebraska. Yep. A uh, little ways from Omaha. Yep. And uh, you, I assume, dominated. And, Went to Wichita State mm -hmm. afterwards, mm -hmm. the Wichita State Shockers. So mm -hmm. D one school, always known for a good baseball program. Mm -hmm. And then uh, <laughs> that's right. Ted's showing the Shocker symbol. <laughs> Anyone wondering? I put the thumb up. Ted. Uh, oh, sorry. <laughs> it's Arizona State. Uh, so, what was it like? What, what was the whole process like? So you played for a D1, really visible school. Mm -hmm. Like that was had to be pretty cool. Yeah. And then uh, and then you got drafted. Will you describe for us what it was like waiting to hear what round you were going in and all that? Yeah. Um, I guess that starts in high school. I uh, my, my freshman year, got a little bit of splash varsity time, not much. Uh, my brother was actually a senior at the time, and so I had a really good kind of development process uh, i knew the head coach from earlier he had coached the brothers select team and so i really cultivated a growing experience there my freshman year and then my sophomore year um started to play a lot more on the varsity role and had some early success and that was kind of when i uh what, what you, you step out in the spotlight a little bit i guess is what you would say I, the name started to circulate a little bit 
Um, that twos kid is really good. <laughs> <laughs> if my high school coach was on here, he'd tell a couple funny stories about what coaches would say to him after games. But um, and then my junior year started to get some traction just with uh, some some preseason things, uh, honorable mentions and and pre recognitions and stuff like that. Uh, and then my senior year after, I, so there's you can either play Legion ball, which I'm sure you did. And you can play AAU travel ball, which is starting to become kind of the trend uh, to get seen. So my junior summer, I played travel ball. And uh, after that circuit, I kind of learned that I was good. I didn't really know I was – I knew I was local good, but I didn't know I was uh, Midwest or regional or national Your game good. traveled well. Correct. Yeah, yeah, the game traveled well. Um, so I started to get offers that whole junior circuit, uh, Nebraska, Wichita State, Kansas, Kansas State, uh, late TCU, some some big name schools, and um, and so that started to get really exciting. I ended up signing with Wichita State. Uh, Why Wichita State of all places? Uh, the Nebraska situation could get a little fuzzy. I'm not going to go into that, but the uh, my dad gave me some great advice. Honestly, he he encouraged us to get away from home. Mm-hmm. That was something he was like, I, I want you to be your own man. I mean, that's that's an it's an important thing in any young man's life to gain some independence. And so that was a big piece of it. And then the probably I mean the single biggest piece of it was Wichita State had a great track record of turning out professional arms. So they had Mike Pelfrey, Darren Dreifer, you know, some of these big name guys that Coach Chemnitz, who had been there for thirty one years at the time that I was there. Sorry, I keep hitting the table crying <laughs> as reverb. Um he just sold me on the fact that he could take me to the next level and, and make me a first, second, third round guy, which he successfully did. It just so happened to be that I blew out an arm. Um, so that was the reason for Wichita State. Did Wichita State go to the College World Series while you were there? They did not. They've yeah. been seven times. But yeah. I, when I, I don't know, I've got a, I've got a curse following me. I we won a conference championship the year before I got there, and then we weren't very good my three years there. But Yeah, see, I, I grew up watching like, well, Darren Dreifer was in like that was my mm-hmm. era when I was really paying attention to yeah. that and, and the College World Series and all that. And that Wichita State was a, a mainstay yep. in that. So yeah, Braden cool. Looper. I should show Braden in yeah. there. He's he was a coach of mine with St. Louis. So shout out Braden. Now okay, so you grew up in a household of six kids, is that right? So you had five, five? for seventeen years, and then we added a sixth my junior year high school. Yep. We like you went out shopping and well, no, no, like, no, no, oh, no. That, that one looks cute. <laughs> Should, shouldn't say it like that. No, uh, my parents felt a very um, uh, faith driven, uh, God calling type of a, type of a thing. To uh, my dad's uh, orthopedic surgeon did well, um, and they had a strong calling to reach out abroad and and uh, for lack of a better term, save somebody. I mean, from a from a situation that might not have been. Now, is this your sister? This is my younger sister. Yep, yep, Christina. Well, and also they were probably sick of five That's boys true. in the house. Yep, yep. That is also <laughs> so, very, very true. They that did not want to run the true. risk of trying it uh, right. organically and ending right. up with poor right. after five you. times. Your yeah. poor mom. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, no. I, I've said that no, many times, and she said I wouldn't have it any other way. I was like. Mm. <laughs> not, not sure, but <laughs> now okay. So that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, did you ever hit up your dad to do surgery on your arm, like just to save Ye- some money? Uh, <laughs> well, for, well, first off, the Cardinals ended up paying for it, so I didn't have to. Oh, well, that's pay nice. for that. Yeah. So, uh, but yes, um, I would never ask him. I asked him about it with the 
pre-intent of him saying no because I would never want him to feel responsible for any sort of effect on my career. I mean, that would be the worst thing ever mm. as a father. Yeah. Because like, I did end up tearing it again. So if I did and he was the one that did the surgery, like I can't imagine – that yeah, yeah, suck. you're like, Dad, like did that? you nick that tendon? I, yeah, I mean, last time, even if you he did a perfect up. surgery, and it's like, you just, it's just something that, yeah, a line you really don't want to cross, in my opinion. I don't know. I, I, but, I would never blame him, but he would probably be a little self conscious. But I could see your dad being like, you know what? If I would have done it, it probably wouldn't tour again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you now might he, be right. Yeah, you now he could right. go back and be like, no, yeah. No. If he I was on done here, that. he'd say the same thing, I'm sure. But he's the armchair uh, surgeon. Now, I did read in a uh, Lincoln Journal Star article about uh, you and your brother. Yeah, uh, yep. where you <clears throat> returned to coach, mm-hmm. uh, and you did that for what three years? Uh, Four years? So I went back 2020, actually. So this is interesting timeline sequence of events. Uh, I had my hip done and my elbow done in 2019, 2020. You sound like you're about my age. Yeah, I am. Yep. <laughs> but, Hip replacement. Yeah. <laughs> Um, just physically. So the summer of COVID, uh, I helped coach the Legion team with my brother, Luke. And then, uh, February of 2020, well, 2020, I started to kind of mess around with kids and I started to throw again. And I was like, man, my body feels pretty good. I think I can still do this. Uh, at the time I was 25. So, uh, started messing around with that. Uh, started training at Kratos with Cody Anthony uh, shout out Cody. And he got me back to a point where I felt like I could, I could get a professional tryout. So my younger brother was pitching down at uh Drury university and, uh, Ricky Meinhold, who is now the pitching coach at Missouri was the pitching coordinator with the Mets at the time. And he was a mainstay in Springfield and Tom, my younger brother, Tom reached out and said, Hey, just come down here and throw. So I went down there, uh, stepped on a mound and I was 90, Two to ninety six with a really good breaking ball, and I was like, "Whoa, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> where did this come from?" I do. I still got it. So Ricky was like, "Yeah, I think we can make something work." He was with the Mets at the time, so signed with the Mets, and uh, that ended up being a short stint because I pitched for two months and then tore my UCL again. Oh, like, have, man, yeah. that quick? Yeah, it was it was quick. I uh, I don't well, know. There's there's some anatomical things I think that maybe some people's bodies don't absorb new tissue better than uh, i don't want to make this a medical podcast but i don't know i well here we are i did everything right it's wide, sport, wide ranging topics. it's a sports podcast right <laughs> yeah, now yeah yeah this is so, bar, yeah. barstool sport. And <laughs> listeners this is not barstool sports <laughs> however we will transition at some point into real yeah, estate yeah yeah uh huh okay and then now so that was 2020 mm-hmm. you came back coached the high school team is that what it yep, was this last year and i'm gonna do it again this year uh with luke Again, brother. I'll throw out names. I've got four brothers. What, what team is this now, though? Waverly, Waverly. High School. Yep. Awesome. Yep. And Going back last to the year, roots. we went to the state tournament and uh, ended up making it all the way to the state final. Uh, we actually went undefeated through pool play. And then uh, at the state tournament, bracketing is kind of weird. We had to play a meaningless game, and we ended up playing Scott, lost to Scott. So rather than having to lose twice in the state championship, we only had to lose once. It was like a winner-take-all interesting but ended up losing two to one elkhorn north uh they had a really good team and it was a or two to zero we lost two to zero we got shut out uh it was fun though i mean it was a blast having the kids it was a great learning experience and patience but uh having somebody like a brother or a really close friend in those situations is i mean extremely fun i we just it was a blast 
There's there's just nothing like coaching. Like no, it's, no, there's not. It's a completely different. It's experience. it's more I would say more gratifying <laughs> than almost doing it yourself and, yeah. and winning. You know what I mean? It like, is. It is. And I haven't done it at the at the level you have, but just like little league and, and whatever. But yeah, yeah, it's, that's that's it's cool. extremely fulfilling. Also extremely frustrating. I mean, it's the best of both worlds. Now, talk to us about. So you blew out your your UCL for mm-hmm. the second time, and d- at that point. Did you know what happened when you th- did you throw a pitch and that and you felt it? Is that what happened? Uh, the third time, yes. The second time, no. Oh, the first time, yes. Oh, the third. Okay, right. Sorry. <laughs> first time, yes. Second time, no. So when I was with the Cardinals, uh, 2019, uh, it was really odd. Actually, I actually I went through rehab for about two months before we figured out what was wrong. I thought maybe that I had retour, um, but it was I just kind of got like these bicep tricep cramps um there's a lot of what they call artifact in a joint location after doing surgeries just because stuff's messed up because they go in there and move stuff around so when we would do mri scans they really couldn't see everything there's like scar tissue that they would want yeah Yeah. and so we couldn't see it clearly um when dr andrews ended up opening me up and 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 doing the surgery he was like oh yeah i was torn but we we actually didn't even know prior to surgery he just Hmm. he went in there and he was like i because i couldn't throw i was like "I, i can't throw so there's something going on. Can we just open it up? And that uh, was that was what ended up. Yeah. And then so when you found out and you, and you knew you were done, mm-hmm. what happened? Talk us through your mindset. Like, did you have any game plan, or did you have like a fallback where you know what this doesn't work out? I'm gonna go work in a tire shop or whatever. Was this a depression issue that you <laughs> no, went through there? No, no, <laughs> no. I never had to face that. Um, I don't know. I've never. Baseball is inherently a game of failure. And so you learn how to fail forward, just like your guys segment. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you just learn how to do that. And I guess it didn't bother me. It was just the next thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was okay. Well now what, now what am I going to do to succeed at next phase? And the answer doesn't necessarily have to be there, but that was just kind of the mindset. I guess it was, uh, this is the reality what am I going to do to move forward, move the needle forward after this is done? I don't, I've never been much of a sulker. So, I mean, I, yeah, I didn't really think about it that much. It was so just take, like, take right. your lumps and uh, yeah. move on to the yeah. next thing. So yep. how did you, I guess, talk us through how you arrived at what the next thing was like, why real estate of all the possible, you know, career pursuits you could have had. Yeah. Um, my mom and dad always told me, and I didn't really know what this mean or didn't really know what it meant. Excuse me. Growing up, uh, they always said I had a uh, woo or the, the, the woo thing. Uh, if you take, <laughs> if you take strength finders or whatever that is, it's, it's woo. Woo. Okay. I don't, that's like a, that's a thing. That's a thing. Yeah. Didn't know what it was, but took the strength finders test that Gallup had to provide. And that was like my number one thing. And it's a, it's a, you network well, essentially, like you're able to communicate well with people really well. So it's kind of the it factor. Is that an, like, yeah, yeah. You have the uh, baseball the in, speak, the sixth tool. Yeah. yeah. It's your sixth tool. Yeah. Um, I had that. And so, <laughs> and, uh, I, Ted's like, there are about, six tools in this room right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I just started to, so I, we're going to round about to this, but I, when I was playing ball, you don't make Jack. And mm-hmm. so I was like, there's a little bit more to life than this. I mean, you don't make any money. You know what, what do you mean? And the miners, the miners you miners. make zero yeah. money. I mean, you make $1,200 a month. What seriously minus taxes, minus living minus like it's, it's brutal. You got to just, 
you scrape by. I mean, you get a two bedroom apartment and you stuff seven guys in it. Literally, that was what we did. Like when I when I tell this story, that was what was happening. That's what so, happens in Ted's Airbnbs. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, so I started to. One of my buddies was really early into crypto and uh, like blockchain stuff, and I was like, "Ah, eh, it's not really for me," but I want to find something. So started looking up at just ways to accumulate wealth and that was stock trading and that was uh real estate crypto kind of all the fad things that were four or five years ago just kind of like cusp i was gonna say have you checked in on your crypto buddy lately, <laughs> lately? <laughs> i haven't i haven't, I haven't but <laughs> things are a little different yeah now. they're a little different but uh that was just kind of the start of it so i started to listen to bigger pockets i started to re i, I read rich dad poor dad i read um, what was another one that I read? Uh, it was a flip book. Can't even remember the name of it. So it didn't stick, but rich dad, poor dad stuck. And, uh, I ended up going to the legacy wealth thing that they had in Lincoln at the embassy suites. Uh, oh, okay. Was it like a seminar or whatever? Yeah, they do like their, their sales seminars is yep. what they are. They're trying to get people to sign up. Um, it was great. Good business model, but went to the seminar, signed up, went to the next step. It's like a three-step process. And then you, uh, I think you pay $400 for the second one. And then uh, you go to the last one and you can sign up to get a mentor and get access to all their like curriculum, which I did. Um, didn't use any of it to my own fault. Uh, I Is just, that, it was kind of a waste. I wasted a lot of money on it, it but it motivated you, me because I were you like because you felt like you didn't know enough yet? Yeah. Like you needed to know more and yeah. more and yeah. more. Yep. Yeah. At that point, I had it's the trap. Yeah. I was 20. Well, at that point, I was 25. Yeah, it was 2020. But I had a little bit of money in the bank. I was doing okay just from signing bonus stuff. I didn't really spend anything. You just live really frugally and uh, ended up, yeah, just buying an education that I didn't use, which is kind of like college, and it just pissed me off. So I was like, all right, well, I bought this. I didn't use it. Now I'm going to figure out how to make it work. And that's when I started to use the woo and i was like screw it i'm going to all of this i'm going to all the meetups i'm going to start doing all this i'm going to find the literally i if i had my notebook i would show you i was like find the five most powerful people in the room and like get on get on ship with them and that was my original reach out to you colin bader uh brad bader i thought he was a player in the room which he is and uh this is to say was that a failure when you figured that one out and uh we love i don't i don't remember who my fifth one was i truly don't uh but yeah so i reached out to you colin and uh dave and those are like my three guys and i was like okay one of these guys is gonna it's gonna happen like i'll make it happen but it's gonna happen i had that first conversation go with owen first conversation it was super good actually I mean, I, we were yeah, talking we, about it at night all the other night. Yeah, we we met at uh, uh, Sozo Coffee, I yeah. think downtown. Yeah, yeah, and we were there for a couple hours and and uh, yeah, talked about life and baseball and real estate and mm-hmm. like next steps and yeah, all that. I I wish I could have been a fly in there and then listen <laughs> that maybe you didn't tell him that you used to play pro ball and then maybe maybe <laughs> Owen started gloating about his ball days. <laughs> I was fan, fan, no, I was fangirling him, fanboy. No, 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 no. Uh, that was the start though. And okay, so you, this, I want to spend a little bit of time on this because you just decided that you were interested in real estate and you wanted to make it happen. And so you just said, you know what, I'm going to talk to five people in my local market that I think can help me 
get from where I am to where I want to be or some progress. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And so what, what, what was your approach when you reached out to like, uh, whether it's me calling David, what, whatever, like, how do you do that? How did you even know who to, how who to talk to? (laughs) Well, I don't know. That's the first I don't know if that's a skill or if that's a self-awareness thing, but when you walk into a room, you can generally see who people are flocking to, who people are asking questions, who people want to get in front of, who people. So I was, I literally just sat there for a little bit and observed and I was like, okay, who are, who are the guys? Okay. So the, you went quote to a, unquote, the guys, you, you went to a meetup first. Yes, I went okay, to a meetup first. All right. Yep. So step one, go to a meetup. Step one, go to a meetup. Step two was I have probably, I have probably a, a damageful amount of self-confidence sometimes. And so I, to me, it's not really a big deal. Like I was going to walk up to you and just introduce myself and be like, Hey, what's up? I'm Sam. I used to play professional baseball and I think I'm cool. <laughs> that was my thing. Like I was like, I, Seriously. I'm missing two ligaments in my body. Yeah, I'm, but no, I mean, that, that's just like a good icebreaker, and I knew it was a good icebreaker. I know it didn't really mean anything, but if I said it, it was like, oh, I remember that guy, the six five guy that used to play professional baseball. I'll remember him. Yep. So I was like, that's, a good hook. that's what I'm going to do. And so I did that to you, Colin Bader, and it worked the same. Got all your guys' business cards, and uh, I think I let it sit for about a week, and then I reached back out, and... I flooded everybody. I mean, if, if Dave was here, he would tell me or he could attest like he was in Lincoln, you two are in Omaha and I live in Lincoln. And so Dave, I went extra heavy after because I was like local market guy. And yeah, he brought me in, showed me, I mean, he was a wholesale and flip guy. So he kind of showed me the ropes there. Uh, he picked my brain for probably two weeks and he was like, Hey man, you're going to be really good at acquisitions. And so I, okay, sounds good. I, I didn't need to hear anymore. I was like, just tell me what to do. And he was like, all right, well, pull this list, pull this list, start ringing phones. So that was exactly what I did. Pulled the list, rang phones, didn't really have any scripts. He gave me a couple scripts, but I thought the scripts sucked, to be honest with you. Uh, I, I'm more of an authentic approach kind of a guy. I like to get to know people rather than uh, repeatable scripts, which I understand some scripts have scale, like capability. But in real estate specifically, there's a lot more sentiment, I feel like. And so if you can hook somebody with a with a high value piece of rapport quickly you're a lot better off than just dishing a a script that you manufacture over and over and over and so that was my approach when i started in acquisitions and it worked really really well and then after i would hook i would drop oh by the way i used to play baseball <laughs> and then they would and then it was a it was a remembrance thing it was like oh i remember sam the guy that played baseball that also used to have this rapport item or we also have this in common. So it was like an instant like hook line sinker of, Oh, here's the guy that called me. This was a differentiator. Like I knew who he was. And so next time he calls back, I would just, I wouldn't have to ask like, Hey Steve, this is Sam again. I would literally just be like, Hey Steve, how you doing? Like what's, what's going on with the property? And he'd be like, Oh, Hey Sam. Like it would, it was, it wouldn't take me four calls to get on a first name basis. And so that like, that was the instant success in acquisitions that I had. I really like that. And I've never really heard it described that way, but you inject something very memorable about yourself into a conversation that you're having with somebody that may be a short conversation, Mm -hmm. but the object or the, the goal is be make yourself kind of memorable and, and in a way that, 
is going to differentiate you from a whole bunch of other people that they're going to meet that same night. Yeah. Instead of exchanging business, like I'm not kidding. Uh, this just happened yesterday. I was cleaning some crap out of my truck and my daughter was in there and she's like, she, there was I, I spilled business cards out like mm-hmm. there I had a bunch of them just as like a stack and I literally was looking through them and I'm like I have no idea who they are no idea who this is you know don't remember them yeah nothing like I got nothing out of probably 15 I guarantee you I probably talked to those people but I don't remember them mm-hmm. so it was either I'm, I'm thinking back and it was one of two things one is they weren't memorable for whatever reason, and yep. I'm forgetful. So, <laughs> yeah. so there's that. Yeah. Uh, but the second thing is, like, you um, have to follow up. Yeah. You can't just hand somebody a card and you're good, yeah. right? You have to be memorable and do it quickly, but not quickly enough where they're like, "Hey, stalker!" Like, yeah. I literally just met you tonight. The other part about you're like, that. "Hey, I know it's two in the morning and you just got home, but had a great time talking <laughs> tonight." You the don't want to do that. About that is, it is it is an innate human response to want to be chased i never handed out a business card i would always get a business card like if i call you and i'm chasing you and i give you something to remember me by and you feel like i'm coming after you you're gonna respond better than like yeah me fishing for you uh i yeah i like that now i want to um highlight something we talked about this when when dave was in here i'm not sure what episode that was but we can link to it in the show notes first first 10 yeah yeah and uh so you kind of got thrown into the fire with Mm -hmm. uh the level of people that you were calling on these weren't just you know joe and Susie homeowner yeah you jumped into basically wholesaling apartment complexes yeah which i don't know again that I've ever met anyone in other markets that has done this or in our market. Like mm-hmm. you're the only you, you and Dave are the only people I've ever met that have done that. Yeah. Can you describe what that looks like? Like how do you, how are, how did you arrive at that specialty? And I know you're doing other things now and we can, mm-hmm. we're going to talk about that too, but that you guys have made a lot of money and put crazy deals together. Yeah. Like maybe give us some examples of that. Like how does, how did that work? He said, here's a list, but what was the list? Um, so yeah, he pulled a multifamily list and again, probably ignorant and self-confident to a level of irresponsible because <laughs> I was calling on things that I had no business calling on. But I mean, I was calling owners of four plexes, eight plexes, 30 plexes, et cetera, et cetera. And treating it like a $40,000 single family, which honestly, that's probably what you should do. I mean, it's the same conversation. The dollar sign just goes up. I mean, that's, that's really Mm -hmm. all it is. And the beautiful thing about commercial real estate is it is, it's not emotional at all. If you talk to, I was just listening to your Stephen Ward podcast and you said, my number is a million. Like if you can get me a million, yeah, I'll sell. Yeah. So it's like, okay, well, if I can, yeah, if I can wholesale it for a million one, yeah, here's your million. That's, it, it was not any more complicated than that. And Dave having the local knowledge of Lincoln and having the buyer box or excuse me, the buy list that he had built up. It was super easy. <laughs> what are you laughing at? <laughs> it was super easy for me to be like, I, I would literally run through quick underwrites, get rent rolls, get expenses, get a quick T12. It was slopped together. I mean, it was nothing fancy. And I'd be like, Dave, we're at, we're at two thirty on this fourplex. What do you think you can get out of it? And you'd be like three ten. I'd be like, all right, let's do it. And, and that was it. Like that was the extent of the conversation. And I, I would navigate those acquisitions and weasel it down to get as much spread as we possibly could. 
but that was it. I mean, it's not any more complicated than wholesaling single family. It's just the numbers get larger and you, you can't, you can't get intimidated by it in the faintest sense, because again, commercial, less residential, there's a, there's more sharks in the water. People can sniff out a fake. Mm -hmm. So if you can't, if you can't hold a tune, like you'll get outed very quickly, but if you can hold a tune, then you're fine. Just, just don't get out. I mean, <laughs> this made me think of something. Um, you mentioned you got, you know, a T12 or rent rolls and, and those, those kind of things. And so for maybe people that aren't comfortable or don't really know how to approach getting information that is useful in mm -hmm. order to put a deal together, how do you arrive at knowing when, how do you, how do you get information out of people when they may be a little standoffish at first? Like, do you have maybe an approach or things that you ask, or do you just kind of play it by ear with whoever's on the phone with you or in person? Uh, yeah. I mean, I would, again, back to script context, I would completely play the quote unquote sales call to who I was talking to. Mm -hmm. Um, excuse me. Early off, Dave and I had, we did an eight plex. Uh, that was actually our first, that was our full, first multifamily deal. And the dude was pretty standoffish to start. And then I, you, you could ask Dave this, but I, I just kind of warmed down a little bit. I don't know. I was, I, I got the sense that he was a roughneck kind of a guy. <laughs> and so I would mirror. I mean, I'd be, I, that was exactly, that was a hundred percent my approach because I've, I've been exposed to that in my life, I guess. I mean, both my grandpas were like that one still like that. And, uh, so I just knew the approach. I've had that conversation before. So mm -hmm. if you wanted to be a little bit rough with me, then I would be a little bit rough, sarcastic back to you and kind of like get a little chuckle. And then, all right, you know, two minutes down the road after we exchange blows sarcastically, now we're friends cut type of a thing. So it, it just kind of, you play the player. I don't know. That was my that was my entire acquisition approach. Mirror, player. Mirroring is definitely a sales tactic that's trained out there. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I, I like that. And, I, and I'm, as you're talking, I'm thinking of all of the calls that I've gotten over the years from people that are you know looking to acquire multifamily or they're looking to you know I'm on their list somehow. And the ones you know, and it's it's never a good time when you no. get those phone calls. No, never, like never. you're always doing something else, yeah. right? You're like, yep. okay, what? Like, what do you what do you want? Type thing, and yeah. you don't want somebody to waste your time and ask you a million questions about you know, like how many bedrooms is it? Blah blah blah. Yeah. That, that's not that's not what that's not important no. on the call. No, it's getting to the information you need, and and a lot of times, if uh, at least I can speak for myself, and and this is referencing the Stephen Ward episode when he'd be like, what's what's your number? And I'm like. You know what? I don't want to sell this at all. This mm -hmm. is my this is my deal, right? Yeah. Like I I you know rehab this thing. I all it's all repositioned. It's my gem. Mm -hmm. But everybody has an I don't want to sell number. Yeah. Where if somebody came along and offered it, they would sell. Like yeah. Everybody has that. I don't care who you are. A hundred percent. And, and one if you thing can I'll... get that information out of somebody, even if it's it may be completely unrealistic and ridiculous, yeah. but. Maybe it's not. Maybe they think it is, and it it actually isn't. Yeah, no, because I, they're not up with the mark current market value. So I you got to ask the question. Yeah, right? absolutely. That was, and I'll give Dave all of the props in the world on this because he knew the market was way over the top. I mean, it was er, these most of the guys I was calling and women were. 
I bought this in 2009 for 20,000 a unit. Mm -hmm. If we bought it for 40, they double their money and it's like, well, heck yeah, I'll take that deal. And then there's space for another 20 on what the market was calling for. I mean, if somebody bought it for 20,000 a unit was willing to sell it for 40,000 a unit and we could sell it for 60,000 a unit. I mean, there was the, that was, that was, you just, Dave identified the back end market and pretty much said, Hey, here's the spread that we can get. And then it gave me context to go off of, to make deals happen. Yeah. I really like that. So you identify basically keeping the pulse of the market and staying on top of it when other people may not be because they're not in the acquisition game anymore. Generally there's a life cycle of investors Right. So they're going, everybody that gets, you know, the bug and they want to go out and mm-hmm. buy, 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 mm-hmm. buy. And you eventually, and I'm kind of probably getting there, but uh, you get burned out after a while. And mm-hmm. like you don't need, you know, it's like how many units do you want or need or whatever? Yeah. And you have to start yeah. making decisions about like, which ones are we going to keep? What are, you know, are we going to trade up into something else? You know, like those are natural, the natural progression, but eventually not everybody wants to continue buying. And those are the people typically that are good acquisition. Um, let's say not targets necessarily is the right word, but if you're talking with somebody and they're maybe not like they're, you know, looking at the market every single day and trying to understand values and all that, they may be a little out of touch and it's not necessarily taking advantage of them, but they are not, you know, they're doing themselves a disservice by not understanding the asset they have. Correct. Is that fair? I think it's completely fair. I would, there's a, there's a very, and <laughs> keep, I, I, I'm referencing Dave heavy right here, but that me and Dave would butt heads all the time because I would be, it bothered me if we wouldn't give somebody fair market value off the shoot. Mm-hmm. It's like, this feels slimy or something like that. But Dave was like, well, Sam, listen. This person is 80 years old. They bought it for 20,000 a unit and they want to sell it for 45,000 a unit. That's all they need to retire. And that's the number that they've had in their head for 15 years. And he said, you're providing that service. That's, and anybody listening, you can look at that however you want to, but it, it is a fact. I mean, if they say, Hey, I need a million two off of this building to retire and live my life comfortably for the rest of my, I mean, the rest of my days and be happy and you can make one four off of it. Give them one too, and they're great, and they're happy, and there's a spread for you. Yeah, you got to do some extra legwork, but it's the same thing wholesaling single family as it is multifamily. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, I know, and you there will be people that give backlash. There are that's but that's but here's here's the reality of it. Here's the reality of it. Let's say you go to a restaurant that you really like, and this is a stretch maybe for an analogy, but you go to a restaurant and they have really good food, but it's like way cheaper than another restaurant. You're not going to go into that restaurant and say, I want to buy your food and I don't think you're charging enough. I'm going to, on top of what you say you want for it, I'm going to give you more. Yeah. Like you, that doesn't happen. It's commerce. No, it's yes. It's. And a lot of people that are listening could relate when buying a car also. Yeah, Correct. exactly. I mean, cause like, I got the greatest deal ever on this car. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Like you, you're you, buying, you, it just you happens to have it. a really big price tag, right? Yeah, That's the difference. It's Yeah. It, it, the reason it gets backlash, and I shouldn't say that Dave, it's not like Dave and I didn't do anything. Like on that eight plex, we went in and we replaced, we did all the doors and we put new paint on. Like we invested some time and stuff into that during due diligence so that we could spruce it up to sell it on the back end. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> it's, you're providing a service on both ends. You're providing a service for a good price to a buyer. 
and you are providing an exit, a needed exit for an exhausted investor on the sell side. So it's like sell by two services, meet in the middle. Win, win, win. It's a great price. It's a great spread. It's a good. Currently, I don't think it's the greatest market to be in because the market's shifted a little bit. And so people started to understand that properties were worth a little bit more and the cost of money has gone way up. And mm-hmm. so it's it's a little more difficult now to do that. But I mean, yeah, in 20 and 21, when cost of capital was 3% and people were, oh, I'm not going to say unaware, but less aware of the direction that the market was heading, it was a great time to do it because there was a big spread. And so you just take advantage of the market environment. But uh, locally, we, we've got these new wholesale laws that have come into place. So yep. how those affected your business? So we never, well, uh, I'm gonna, I would have to lean on Dave for this. I don't think we ever actually wholesaled anything. I don't think we actually assigned a contract. We would double close pretty much everything. Um, and when somebody doesn't know what double close is, can you explain that? It is a, well, you close on the property and then sell it hours later. Yeah. So it is a, I mean, you do face capital gain and there's, there's, there's a hit there, uh, as opposed to ordinary income off of a wholesale contract. But again, commercial property making the spread a little bit thicker, you're able to wear that capital gain and it's, it's okay. Yeah. So your first year into the business, so that was, uh, when did you officially jump in and you're like, I'm working with you, Dave? Um, June of 2020. Okay. So you had yeah. roughly about six months of that year. What was 2021 like? Like, did you kill it? Cause it um, seemed like you killed it. Yeah. 2021 was a good, really good year. Yep. Um, did like better than minor league baseball. <laughs> yes. <laughs> very, very much so better than minor league baseball. Um, acquired a 39 unit apartment, uh, 24 units, townhomes down in Manhattan that Owen didn't want to buy with me. Thanks Owen. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> you got it all. <laughs> no. Um, and we, I think Dave and I wholesaled is the correct term, I guess. Uh, probably eight to 12 multifamily properties, I think. The decent sized ones, too. These aren't like four du- up. duplexes. Yeah, four up. I mean, we did fours, eights, twelves, fifteens, and the biggest we did was 30. Mm-hmm. Um, and then. I kind of got. I started to get acquainted with Leavenworth. That was my introduction to Leavenworth. Was at the end of twenty one. And who is Leavenworth? Leavenworth is Colin Schwartz and Chris Pomerleau and many other names. But those are the two faces. Uh, they're a capital group here in Omaha, and they source deals throughout the Midwest. Uh, provide capital structure to acquire them and take on any investor. Most of what they run now is five hundred six C investments in terms of the larger stuff. But we could. Get into the syndication. So accredited investors. Yeah, accredited so, investors. yeah let, let's maybe talk about that. So how, yeah. how did you uh, – so you started started working with Dave. Sounds like you had a really good uh, yeah. entree into multifamily, wholesaling, and wholetailing. Well, yep. not – double close. You, you get it. Yeah. yeah. You, yep. you guys yep. get it. So you learned the ropes on mm-hmm. the multifamily side. When did Leavenwealth and kind of your role uh, like enter into play with you? Um. Yeah. Okay. So the – the notion that I had talked about earlier that I I didn't necessarily enjoy shorting people on mm-hmm. on the on on our buy side their sell side it really never did sit well with me I so I should I should have prefaced that before I just said oh, I'm providing you know providing service which <laughs> it's true but it, it never sat well with me and it bothered me that 
I was buying things and not holding them. I, I wanted, I wanted to get into real estate to buy and hold and create passive income. And so you just felt empty inside. <laughs> I felt like a ghost. No, <laughs> no. Um, but I, I saw a way to do that after just speaking with Chris and Colin a couple of times, you know, Hey, you can work acquisitions here and you can also invest in this property. Um, so for anybody out there who has a really good multifamily deal in the Midwest, bring it to Chris and Colin because there is acquisitions or bring, you. or bring it to me. <laughs> yeah. But if you want to make more money, go around me, <laughs> but, uh, bring it to them. There's activists there. There's fee structures there for you to be compensated and you can also invest back into the properties and syndication is a beautiful tool, um, because it, it really services all facets of real estate, the front end on the acquisition, there's fee structures to compensate people for investors who want passive income. There's the ability to be a limited partner, or if you are a mature real estate investor, you can syndicate your own deals like you're doing Branson. It's going to be a great deal where you're a GP and you can also get LP shares and you can really cover all bases and <laughs> really accomplish every single goal of real estate. I mean, there's the cash business, there's the passive business, there's the equity business, and you're accomplishing all of that. All right. You've thrown a lot around a lot of big words here. Sorry, um, sorry. Let's sorry. uh let's <laughs> actually let's do this. What was the first deal in your role as kind of a free agent acquisition specialist for Eleven Wealth? What what did you find? What did you bring to the table that kind of got you a seat at the table? Yeah. Um I was still working with Dave at the time and Dave and I went fifty fifty on these. Uh the I brought a 180 unit down in Wichita uh, that was 27,000 a door, kind of a war zone type mm. property. But I, I heard about, I heard Dave talk about this one. Yeah. yeah. Was that a Wichita State <laughs> baseball uh, dorm? I know. I can honestly say I've never <laughs> been there in my time in Wichita. I had no idea where it was, uh, but I saw the price tag of door and I knew market rent was around 450. So I was like, okay, that's the quote-unquote 2% rule right that's, off the cuff. That's where the bad kids went to buy meth is at this apartment <laughs> complex. Anyway, go ahead. Anyway, yeah. So that was one of them. Uh, this was all at the end of 2021. So, yes, 2021 was good. Um, 48 units in Des Moines that were uh, townhomes, duplexes, and then these uh, like fourplexes and eightplexes that were kind of put together and sprinkled together, but just – a good commercial piece. And those are probably about as high of a B class as you could ask before getting to a class. I mean, they weren't new builds by any means, but they were nineties and good trim level safe. So high B class. And those were running a little bit more expensive, but again, rent, I don't want to get like underwriting deep. No, I, the numbers just made not? really good sense. Yeah. So the numbers were great. And then, uh, we did a 262 unit down in Manhattan, um, New York, Kansas. <laughs> so, <laughs> They're all same, same. Yeah, Kansas. So um, <laughs> that came off of the curtails of the townhomes. Uh, we bought 24 townhomes down there on a golf course, and those are kick butt. And then I really liked the market. It, it's similar to Lincoln, where it's kind of a college town. Yeah, college town, but it's it's not like Omaha or Kansas City or Des Moines or uh, Sioux Falls even now where it's kind of a it's it's a very objective market there's there's clear dividing lines dividing lines of like this is a deal this is not a deal Lincoln 
Manhattan, uh, St. Joe, Missouri are like their subjective markets where it's kind of like I, th- there's no real rhyme or reason rhyme or reason here. But if it makes sense, it makes sense. Like it's kind of it's more emotional. Honestly, <laughs> it's more like, oh, I really like this. So I'm going to buy it. That was kind of the townhome situation. But yeah, 260 units in Manhattan. Uh, those were 44 a door, I think. And I think those are performing really well. Um, it better for 44 door. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think that was a really good deal. Uh, yeah. So those are my three introductory acquisitions to Leavenworth. And, uh, I mean, locally, wouldn't you say that, I mean, unless you're getting into a class, wouldn't you say that generally it's probably in the 75 door range? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I would say 75,000 for yes. listeners. Yes. Yeah. Now maybe this is a good time that we can shine a light on the class thing. So we've thrown around high B, A class. Mm-hmm. What is that in your in your I guess opinion? It's a little bit subjective, right? So yeah, yeah, classes classes of commercial properties are typically A, B, C, D, and I've ne- I guess I've never really seen an F, although it's probably on fire. Yeah, yeah. If it's an F, <laughs> it's, a, it's a good way to wow. say that. Yeah, yeah. So uh, maybe take a stab at that if you wouldn't mind. Yeah. Um, subjectively, A class is something that I would live in. Uh, I'm. I don't know if that's snobby, but now I, that I have a family, like I'm not going to, I'm not even going to leave in a, a B class property. When I, I was just, I'm getting my broker's license right now. So I was mm-hmm. just in a class, uh, two days ago for this. And it said a class was going to be a, uh, a new construction, uh, pretty much a new construction is considered a class is, is yeah. what it boils down to. Yeah. There's and amenities, then, there's newer trim, uh, probably some sort of, well, that's amenities, but free free offerings throughout some sort of sense of community, I guess. If you're dealing with commercial, um, that would I would boil that. That's a that's a high level, just kind of stab at, okay. at a class. So the, pro- probably good area, new construction yes. or newish within the last ten years, probably. Okay. Yep. And class B would be class B would be if we wanted to put like a buy box around it. Uh, I would say Owen loves good buy boxes. I do. So I, I, oh yeah, I you love hate me, that. I term. love me a good buy box. I forgot about That's that. You hate laughing. that term. Anyway, <laughs> still I'm use, just going to say you, it still twenty use more it. times. Yeah. Go ahead. I no. I'd say eighties, eighties to twenty tens. <laughs> probably is probably your B uh, varying levels. I think C is when you kind of start. It it it's like a hit. It's like oh this. 60s, 60s, 70s, 60s, 70s, maybe there's a boiler in there, but yeah. it's, you know, there's going to be non-separately it's, it's still metered trim. Yeah. Yeah. Un- units are on one water heater, yeah. maybe yeah. or something like that. Okay. Your B classes are going to be your, uh, 600s to 950 a month rent rent and, and, and that's anything here in Omaha, nebraska yeah and then yeah. anything above a thousand is going to be your a classes or something like that okay and that's pretty that's sprinkled throughout the midwest uh, it's pretty it's pretty much a brush stroke like this is this is what it is yeah got it no that's helpful because some people may be thinking like well i don't know what abcd means yeah so d d class is generally like you probably don't want to go there at night maybe not even during the day correct like if yeah. you're, you're going to collect rent you better have some type of you know, uh, conceal and carry, yeah, uh, or you know, Kevlar, whatever. Like, yeah, I would both. say. So the Wichita property, I would say, was the lowest of C's that we could probably muster. <laughs> Everybody says that their property is a C class unless it's really nice. No, I mean it's a C minus <laughs> minus minus minus. <laughs> yeah, up until Ruth, asset manager at uh, at Leavenworth, uh, brought on point guard management, and they've killed it, and and they've completely turned that place around and they're doing really good things with it now. So it's, it's, it's climbing the ladder. I don't think it'll 
ever be a, a B or B plus class property. I mean, it's going to be a C to C plus. It's going to be your lower to middle class people living there, but it's, it's getting safer and it's, it's a, it's a place to live and, and call home and there's going to be a community. And so that's another part of capital acquisitions. That's nice is you can actually see property improvements like that. All right, Sam, I want to talk for a minute about the Ryan Pineda experiment. Yeah. So do you guys know about this? I, I don't. I know the name Ryan Pineda, but I don't know what the experiment was. So Ryan Ryan Pineda was a he was a minor leaguer, right? He, yeah, he, he played, played minor league A's, yep. A's yep. organization, yep. and uh, had gone on the Bigger Pockets podcast mm-hmm. for his success in real estate investing, and he had kind of cut his teeth as a wholesaler, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? I be- uh, don't quote me on it, but I I know he was like a couch flipper to start. He like oh furniture a storage unit yeah and he would like flip couches and then that turned into flipping houses in the Vegas market. I I he does have a wholesale business. I'm not sure which came first, okay. chicken or the egg. I don't know. You say flipping couches, mm-hmm. yeah, like, 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 couches. like storage wars. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're being serious here. Yes. Very serious. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I thought it was I no. Just, he flipped I, couches. I just yeah. like a term that we're using for something. No, no, no. <laughs> and I'm thinking like he, he they're class D properties. <laughs> I'm thinking that this, I, I'm literally I'm like thinking that he sits on the couch and he's making phone calls, finding flips, and he's no. like <laughs> couch flipper. Oh, I got yeah. <laughs> like okay. working from home. <laughs> <laughs> no, he flipped couches. He had a couple storage units, and he would haul inventory in and flip stuff out of them. Interesting. Yeah. So he blew up after yeah. bigger pockets. I'm yep. sure that had probably maybe something to do with a little bit of his continued success out of that. But mm-hmm. you know him better than I do now, obviously. But he uh, then went on to, well, what's he doing now? And how did you end up meeting him? Why don't you tell the story? Um, so he's got a program that, honestly, I would encourage anybody to do. You can go out and play golf with him in Vegas. Uh, and... Uh, you pay a fee to just go out there, play with him. You get to hang out, either have breakfast or lunch, go by his office. Uh, he brought out his sales manager, Javi, who was a stud. And pretty much you get to, uh, I don't like the term, but pick his brain. Uh, you get to talk to him. and It's one of my favorites. Yeah. Uh, you just get to learn. I mean, you just learn from the dude for about five hours. And it was probably the five most valuable hours I've spent with a a crew i mean i got to spend nine holes with ryan and i got to spend nine holes with javi um we are in the process of building out a storage brand and storage man- management uh company and acquisition company and that uh it just shed a massive light on what actually needs to be done to get to the scale that people desire uh it was amazing to me how invested he was in the people that were out there. Uh, it was Nick Bruin and myself, who's the other acquisition specialist uh, for 11 Wealth, and he's my partner in Quick Lock Storage. And he wasn't on his phone more than 15 minutes, and he wanted to dive into what we needed, and he provided an exceptional, exceptional service of just coaching, honestly. that was And it was it was. It truly was exceptional. I rarely use that word, but it was exceptional. Yeah. Now, one thing I, I recall from listening, I think, to his episode on on Bigger Pockets is he's a TikToker. Am Big I, TikToker. Yeah. Big he's he's like monetized. He figured, he's figured yeah. it out. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And and so do you know much about why or how he goes about that and what he gets out of it? Like what what why is, is that a thing? Arguably I would say he is real estate's like 
quote unquote content king. Like he's the dude that, I mean, he's on every single platform that you can be on. He's got YouTube, he's got TikTok, he's got Instagram, he's got Twitter. I think his Twitter got hacked actually, but um, he is monetizing. It's it. Ryan Panita. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> underscore. <laughs> underscore. There's so many hackers no, out there. There are. They're, it's I don't incredible. Yeah, I don't really understand it either. But uh, no, he's he's monetized it in the sense that it 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 simply draws eyes. And if uh, this was something that I got out of golfing with him, he is in Cardone's 10x mastermind, and he's kind of in the exclusive group where he gets a lot of FaceTime with Elena and Grant. And uh, he was like. It, if people know what you are, that's the most value. That's the most valuable thing that there is. People see golden arches. They see McDonald's. I mean, it's, it's like, it's just trademark bang, bang, bang. So Ryan wants to be the real estate guy on all platforms. And so that's what he's accomplished. He's, he's created a coaching course for content online, content empire. Um, he's, that's what it's called. Content, content empire. empire. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Ryan, you better give me. A yeah, well, let's uh, <laughs> let's link to that in the show notes because uh, this is something that I don't think a ton of people are doing, but it's starting to catch a little more. Yeah, I mean, momentum does, now with uh, with with content creators. He does a lot of he does a lot of coaching. He does Future Flipper. He's got Content Empire. He's got um, let's see what other what other businesses does he have? He's got Panada Capital, which is a, a syndicated capital group. Um, he's got three other businesses that I'm forgetting off the top of my head. But uh, the main value with him was simply how to structure teams, hiring, firing, uh, and, and how to be hands-off in developing businesses where you're not working a 16-hour day. Uh, that was something that he really honed in on was he he has his days. I mean, he doesn't he doesn't have to spend 16 hours in the office. He spends five to six-hour days. That's pretty much his day. And his, he leverages his time better than probably anybody I've met. I mean, he understands his time is valuable and he uses it that way. One thing, one <laughs> takeaway I had when you were telling me about your experience in doing this was that he, you asked him, he, he, I, I was thinking back to, uh, there was, oh, like back in the way back, Henry Ford got called in front of Congress and he was asked a whole bunch of questions about his operation. Like, mm -hmm. why do you do your assembly line this way? Or why does this work this way? Or why does this? And every time some congressman would ask him a question, he would call somebody over and have, and they would provide the answer. Mm -hmm. And they'd be like, do you know anything about your own business? And he looked at him and said, I don't need to know anything about my business because I hire people <clears throat> that know everything about my business. And that's what value I provide. Yeah. And he's kind of struck me. You, you, you mentioned kind of that, that concept of he isn't necessarily in the weeds, but he has people that are very knowledgeable and very good. And they, you know, they mind the ship for him while his job is to go out and meet with people like you and create value and also generate revenue for his own business. Correct. Right? Yeah. I mean, I think his, and plus it's fun. I mean, you go out yeah. and drink and golf. Yeah. Right? He's identified like my hit Ryan's. I'm just going to speak for him. His, so you're kind of you're kind of best friends now. He, no, he probably didn't remember me, but he his his superpower is marketing. I mean, the dude is the face. He's got X amount of Instagram followers. I mean, that's a big thing. He's got X amount of TikTok followers. That's a big thing. So he is the face, and people within his organizations are in the weeds, 
making sure that everything is nice and tidy, but Ryan's the face of it. And so his, his time value is the most highly leveraged thing because he's the face of it. And so if something's not functioning well, he can simply say, this isn't functioning well, fix it Mm -hmm. because he's the face of it. And so that was, that was extreme, like eye opening. Oh, that's what you're supposed to do <laughs> type of yeah. a situation. Not Well, maybe not do because everybody has their strengths and weaknesses. Not everybody can be the face of a company. Um, but there are, there are ways to be hands-off in operating a business that he just shed light to that were enlightening. So worth it multiple times over, whatever. I would you- say multiple. T- yeah, worth it multiple times over. And he's a great company. I mean, he's a great dude. There's, there's a lot of superstardom out there that's tough to be around and like i said like a lot of superstars quote unquote uh are not going to be present in your daily conversation could have talked to him about anything i asked him how his family was he asked me how my family was i mean it was it was a friendly conversation it wasn't simply you know all right what do you need to get done in your business yeah like that wasn't the tone. Yeah, checking the boxes yeah the whole that time. wasn't the yeah. tone at all it was uh yeah I like it was that. pleasant it was, yeah, I would encourage it to anybody, anybody that has bandwidth to do that. Okay. Let me ask you this. So you got back from that experience and it sounds like it was, you know, I would say it changed your mindset or at least, you know, kind of gave you some really good fuel to move forward mm-hmm. and get mm-hmm. past some things, maybe in your own business. Is that yeah. fair to say? Yeah. So do you think you're going to do that again with other people? Like, are you going to seek out others that maybe have a similar type of success level and they are open to you know one-on-one time for a fee or not a fee or whatever is that is that going to be a thing for you or is this kind of a one-off no that's that's 100 percent a thing um i i alluded to it before we started the show i mean i'd love to go down to branson and do a weekend pains valley retreat with you i mean you've been doing this 10 years longer than i have so uh, there's oh, okay. a lot like <laughs> there's a lot more stuff. Long, that, um, I mean, I haven't told you my price tag yet. A lot, lot, lot longer, by the way. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> that's well, okay. That's a yeah. You might you may have a price tag. I'll pay the price tag. But I just I, like there's a there's there is a an extreme superpower in and I'm gonna I'm gonna throw extreme love here to my pitching coach in college, Brent Chemnitz, best college pitching coach that has ever existed, but. uh he said something that I I live in my day to day, and it has molded me time and time again. And it's he he would simply say this on mound visits when we'd be in a in a tight situation. He'd come out and he would say, "Hey man, let me be your experience. Like, stop trying to act like you've been here before. Just trust me. Like, let me let me be your experience. I've been here before. You have done things in real estate." I haven't done, you've experienced things, you've had conversations, you've hired people, you've fired people, you've done things that I haven't done yet. Why would I try and reinvent the wheel of stuff that you've already experienced and you can just simply give me, maybe not give me, that might not be the wrong term, but you can instruct me and say, hey man, like I've been through the ringer, this is the right way to do this. It'd be completely irresponsible of me to not look at that and say, hey, here's a, here's a highly successful individual let me reflect that a little bit. Let me mirror that a little bit. Like this is clearly a successful approach. Yeah. You can look at it and you can say, okay, maybe I can tweak it here and there and maybe it'll be even better. And maybe then you can inform that person. Hey, I I did this and this, and it, it actually works a little bit better, but why would I start from ground zero? I was thinking about some meetings I've had in the last couple of weeks, uh, just with random people, you know, and, and that happened to be in real estate. 
And after every single meeting, this is kind of my thing anyway, but like after every one of those meetings, I learned either a new approach to something that I hadn't really considered, a new way of looking at a challenge or a deal or, or something, or just a, a completely fresh look at, you know, something that's going on that I hadn't considered like every single meeting. It doesn't matter the experience level. So that's what I think is, I think that's the biggest shortcut in this business is to fill your available time with people that allow you to learn from them and, and let them be your experience. Mm-hmm. I love, I love that. I, I'm, I wrote that down. I, I love that. It's, saying. it's an unbelievable, it's an unbelievable yeah. phrase. It's, and it's, it's not as easy as simply if I'm, if I've never done anything in real estate, I'm probably not going to walk up to Owen and say like, Hey Owen, spill all your beans. I, I want to know everything about real estate. Well, yeah. Just, you just listen to the podcast. Coach me everything. <laughs> well, yeah, you can do that. Everybody <laughs> listen to the podcast, but give us a five star review, just, please. <laughs> But I same thing. I mean, with Ted, like you guys do different things within your real estate mm-hmm. businesses. If I wanted to pivot into one of those lanes, it's it's not only dumb of me not to ask, but it's just irresponsible to my business. Why would I not ask? If you're willing to provide that or you're willing to say like, hey, man, I'd, I'd love to pat you on the butt or come under my wing here and like I want to show you the ropes. Like you guys love that. You said there's no greater reward. Like coaching is different. It provides a different sense of fulfillment. People want to coach people. It's it's a thing. People want to provide value. You you can't just expect it. I mean, you you need to get in those circles. But when you're in those circles, it's irresponsible not to ask those questions. Well, it's kind of like at the meetups that we do. Uh, one thing we always ask at the end before everybody breaks apart to network and drink afterwards is mm-hmm. we ask people what they're do- what what they're into and what they're doing. So mm-hmm. we always ask, like, hey, raise your hand if uh, you're doing self storage. Raise your hands if you're doing uh, new construction. If you invest out of state, you're doing multifamilies, et cetera, et cetera. So that we can find the right person to mingle with. Um, but also, we mentioned this before too. When we're at Bigger Pockets, uh, the last Bigger Pockets conference, you wore you had special name badges on depending on what uh, asset uh, class that you were investing in, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I really liked that. One was like wholesaling, another one's flipping, another one's you know multifamily, like there, Airbnb. There's 20 of them. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. And, and they had color-coded tables too yeah. with that. With that, But that's, yeah. yeah but I, it, I, it I kind of really forgot good. about that, but it was it, it's really good. And then, then you can kind of like not have such of a fumble around trying to look for the right person yeah, to 100%. talk to about what you're interested in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's that's good, man. Uh, so, t- speaking of like pivoting, you mentioned self storage. So it seems like that's kind of the emphasis and and kind of where you're going now. Talk about maybe your your stint as you know David Bader's partner in crime with. Well, I shouldn't say crime. I mean, <laughs> wholesaling is illegal, but whatever. Uh, partner it crime was not. In, I know. I'm <laughs> kidding. At the time, it was not. So, and then acquisition specialist at uh, Leavenwealth in sourcing deals and mm-hmm. just kicking ass on the phone and and building relationships. And now you're you're partnering with Nick Brune. Who is Nick? And and why why are you guys deciding to pursue self storage? Nick. Uh, Nick is Nick. That's yes, he what, is. Yeah, Nick is Nick. Um, Nick's a great guy. Love Nick. Um, and then Stephen Anthony is also a partner in on that venture. Um, I was not aware of that. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know Stephen well. I I know him a bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, he's, um, he was one of my first clients. Uh, actually, yeah, I think he was one of my first clients that sold multifamily too. Yeah. One of the smartest guys that I've I've met. A hundred percent. Okay, so this was something that I learned from somebody. This was a let me be your experience moment. Um, I learned. I don't even know. I I don't know who I learned this from, but actually, I probably I'm maybe learned this from myself just from being within locker rooms. The best, <laughs> the best locker rooms, the, like the best locker room dynamics are when you cover 360 degrees of what a locker room dynamic should be. And you're not super heavy on, Hey, we've got nine fun loving guys that don't give a crap about what happens. And then we've got one really serious guy. Like you need a balance and that creates a healthy locker room culture. So I was like, okay, a good business is built like a locker room. Like it's built like a good team. Right. So I actually brought this idea to Nick and Steven in June. I shouldn't, I shouldn't say I, but it, it was, it was cumulative effort. Uh, Steven and I had talked about it previously and Nick and I had talked about it previously, but I was like, you know what? Screw it. We're going to do this thing. Um, so I brought the idea in uh, May. We want, we, we actually formed an entity in June, but I was like, Steven, you're everything that I'm not. I mean, and it's true. He would say that. I would say that. And we love that about each other. He is the most anal, detailed oriented. <laughs> yes. Dive in. Like, let me get this thing perfect. And I love that about him. And I'm the most rip the bandaid off. Just get it done. Like, I don't care. Like, let's go. Let's move forward. Let's move the needle. Just stop looking at it. Like a little, a little Colin Schwartz ish, mm -hmm. like done is better done is than better perfect. perfect. Like that's me and Nick. You know he got did, that from me, right? I, I, I have to say that. Yes. Did he get it? from Yes, you? and he actually posted right. that well, on, mean, on uh, on Jake and Gino's okay, podcast, okay. and they they were like, "Oh, that is gold," <laughs> and they're like posting it on Instagram and whatever. And he actually shared that to me on Instagram. He's like, "Wasn't this a great quote I had?" And I'm like, "You son of a yeah." So I'm not right. saying I'm not, I'm not saying it's perjury, but whatever. <laughs> Owen Dashner now would you, better than good. Just want a little credit <laughs> once in a while. Would you say Stephen Anthony is kind of like the Kirk Cousins of the Minnesota Vikings? So like he's really a hundred percent, hundred. But after your guys' win, you guys do the Kurt Thuggins yeah. and he's yeah. got all the chains on. Yeah, one hundred percent. Stephen's <laughs> taking off his shirt and he's definitely putting chains on. Yeah. No, but that was a uh, that <laughs> that's gold. I actually I'm gonna encourage Stephen to take a picture of that, but. Uh, that was the formation of the team. Um, one thing that Steven and I did not have a whole lot of exposure to was the nitty gritty of actual property management experience that, and, and that was where Nick came in and me and Nick are borderline the same age. I think we're within two months of each other, but, uh, me and Nick have a lot of similar interests. We'll have to golf together, like get along well. And Steven and I get along well. And, uh, he has a, a different skill set to offer than what I provide and what Steven provides. And I honestly believe the three of us provide a pretty good 360-degree view of what needs to happen within the business. There are times where we'll have – we have weekly calls where it's like more than weekly. We have daily calls where it's like I need to jump in and be like, guys, this is way too – like we're getting way too in the weeds. Just stop. Like this, we're done. We're done with this. This is not. This doesn't need to be a conversation that we need to have. This is. We need to move on. This is. This is covered. We're good. We're done. Move on to the next phase. And there are times where, last week, I royally f up, and I get a handshake agreement with an agent where 
earnest money isn't going to go hard because you know we might i might have a, a contract to assign and the agent comes back and he goes this this is a real life scenario this is a failure by the way maybe i should hold on to this but uh, well, wait <laughs> well maybe we just make this our official failing <laughs> but he um that's a good harmony that was that was yeah. beautiful anyway no so auto tune by the way we go into a uh we go into contract on this facility the storage facility down in missouri and i kind of make a handshake agreement with the agent that says hey i've got a buddy down in missouri that really wants this um but our earnest money goes hard in two days we don't love it and we haven't completed our due diligence enough to say yes absolutely um would you mind if my partner came up or my, not my partner my colleague came up and looked at this property this weekend. This was on a Thursday. Ernest money went hard on Friday. He was going to come up and walk it Saturday, uh, walked in and he said, Hey man, this is maybe something I'm interested, in, but I can't do it yet. And so I give feedback to the agent. Hey, let's keep the contract alive type of a thing. And, uh, a couple days go by. He's like, ah, I'm struggling with bandwidth. Like, I'm not sure if I can get it done. So I was like, Hey man, uh, can we cancel the contract? Like you and me had a handshake agreement that earnest money would be good. Like you communicated that to seller and he was like, ah, earnest money's hard. And I was like, sick. Awesome. So that was a failing forward moment where Steven's skill set would be, no, you said this, but we're signing something. Like I am, yep. I am way more of a, like, I don't really care. Like flippantly, like, all right, let's go handshake agreement. You know, you and me, I trust you. You trust me. I'm, I'm an overly trusting person of just like, yeah, let's just do it. That was a big like, oh man, like Stephen should have really used you here because so, I royally messed that up. D so did you, are you going to like, is it done? Like you're out? No. So I, <laughs> no, um, <laughs> failure may be turned into uh, prosperity there because I found a, there, there's a, there's a debt program in Missouri where you can be in state and you can actually get 70% of prime. And so we're maybe going to lean into like a 4.7% loan on 2025 years with potentially a year or two of interest only, which the competitive environment there with the going in cap is sorry, big words, fast speak, but potentially a good deal, <laughs> potentially a good deal. It could be. Yeah. I'd be interested to find out about this Missouri program and if it's available in Branson. Mo Bucks. Mo Bucks program. Mo Bucks. Yeah, it's for commercial real estate. Hmm. So would you say a good partnership team, uh, for, based on what you just kind of explained, is you need the hard ass, you need the person that can run the numbers, and you need the salesman? Yeah. I take two of those, though. I'm the hard ass and the salesman. Um, Nick is extremely empathetic, and that's a really good skill to have. You need to have that person on the team. Uh, especially for like, like we're, we're, we just today, actually, we just launched, uh, we built out a massive, massive virtual assistant training program that took us hours and hours and hours upon end. Cause we built out a property management company within our, uh, our, our storage business, because we buy facilities throughout the Midwest that are kind of ancillary facilities that are these. 10,000 to 40,000 square feet facilities that don't necessarily need an on-site person, but we need somebody to manage them. And so we were like, okay, what's missing? We need a, a, a property management system in place where we can really hone this in. So we built out a virtual assistant program, development program, essentially, that develops virtual assistants into managing those roles. And that was 
95% Nick and Steven. I'm, that's not me. I'm not a, I'm not super in tune with that world of like complete coverage on property management. I'm, I am probably blissfully ignorant to, to an extent, but it, it's a very real part of the business. If you, that's, Maybe this isn't Owen saying, but I'm going to drop Colin's name. If you can, <laughs> if you can manage it, if you can manage it, you can buy it. If you if you know what you're doing on the management front and you and you know what your operations are, you can buy something because you understand what the spreads are. I mean, you understand, hey, my performance here and it's dialed in, and I can make it turn into this. And that's it's super important. Not necessarily me, but super important. Covered those bases, and that was part of building the team. Well, Sam, obviously you're doing some great things. You're building this huge portfolio and. I mean, you're. I mean, the sky's limits for you, obviously. But where, what role is uh, Talia, your wife, playing in this? So Talia was a nurse um, at Bryan Hospital in Lincoln for a little over a year, um, and she stepped away from that to be a mom to our daughter Amelia. Just, and just nine months old. Just nine months old, fresh. <laughs> um, and that is the single. That's probably the single biggest quote unquote value add my life has has ever had. Um, being able to provide that not only is a, an extreme sense of gratification for me, but it also just I don't know. It's a, it, it ensures a level of gratification of her because she wants to be a mom. She she wants to be the best mom that she can possibly be, and so to be able to say hey. Okay, you know we don't we don't need the nursing income. Uh, go be the best mom ever. That's super cool to be able to provide. Um, she is an extreme support role for me. Uh, she probably has to wear a little bit more of my frustrations than she should, just because I, I a lot of time I work from home, and when I get busy, like this last week, we're building out this you know virtual assistant training program. I'm working 14, 16 hour days. It's not really fair to her per se. Um, but she gets it. She doesn't necessarily love it all the times, but she gets it. She supports it. And, um, yeah, she's been huge in that. I, I can't really say enough about that. She's, she supported me every step of the way, even when I was a failure at baseball. Which she reminds me. I don't know. If, I don't know if you call that being a failure. <laughs> <laughs> Just call that some scars. <laughs> so tell me something though. I mean, as of this point right now, from understanding that, I mean, mm-hmm. this has definitely created some good balance in your family life. Mm-hmm. It's it's created some opportunities for for your wife to be home with with yeah. your daughter. Um, what is what is kind of like the long play for you? I mean, you're pretty young. You're at 27? 27, Yeah. yeah. And so. Where I mean, what's the end goal here? Like, what's the what's the generational wealth plan? What's the retirement plan? Where, where do you think you're going to be down the road? So, and, uh, and you should have all this figured out by age 27. Yeah, right? you have to. Yeah. yeah, prerequisite by age 16. Because we what's all. What's your life plan? Because because <laughs> no. Owen and I both had 350 plus prop units. Uh, at, at well, the storage state, at is different than multifamily guys. You gotta understand <laughs> but, that. But yeah, but um, I uh generationally the thing that comes to mind is i have an extreme desire to give so i am i again referencing the stephen ward thing i i i, I give 10 percent off the top of everything that i make that's just like a prerequisite for me typing yep, yep I'm just a, back to your church or yep. to any organizations uh, no or it's it's two different charitable organizations some to church um there's a group out in colorado springs called folks on the family that i really like uh 
it's it's an encouraging ministry of keeping families together because I truthfully believe I, the family foundation is where it all starts. Mm-hmm. I mean, you it, it's it's extremely important. I just think a family foundation is extremely important. Um, but back to the whole generational piece of that, I want to make enough to where I can provide a life to my kids that is uh, stress-free. Now, I, I don't necessarily mean that in the sense that they don't have to work for things because I, I grew up in a wealthy household, and this is a running joke with people that I talk to. They always make fun of me. But m- my dad was an orthopedic surgeon. I had no idea that we had money until I was like 17, 18 years old. We lived in a big house. I thought it was a prerequisite because I had four brothers. Like it was just a thing. Like I thought we needed a big house because we had four brothers. Like we needed space. That was just a thing. We did not live exuberantly by any stretch of the matter. Our our family vacations were camping trips up in northern Minnesota where the brothers and dad would go, you know, hike up nine miles into the wilderness with a canoe and a pack of food and the boundary <laughs> Sounds awesome. Yeah. And no, seriously. I mean, not, it's not for me. <laughs> it's, yeah, I, I love it. I mean, it's something I still do to this day, but it's just, we didn't, you know, it's not like we were going to Santorini and eating cheese boards. Like that's not what was happening. It was like, you were working your freaking sack off. Sorry. But it was, you were at you this were, segment of the podcast, this is officially PG thirteen. Okay, okay, okay. We're yeah, there. We're sorry. there. The beginning is <laughs> we try to keep you it PG. were you were you were working hard. My, my son, my son, quit listening already. <laughs> <laughs> you were working hard for what you got, and so it was. Uh, that was I, I didn't really realize wealth was a thing until later on, which um, I have yet to decide on my stance on this. I don't know if I want to bring that forward a little bit earlier to start teaching. Like, hey wealth is a thing and you should learn how to manage it responsibly. But I do want to bring the sentiment of, Hey, we're not, we're not struggling here. And I, I want that to be a reality. I don't want to, I don't want to have to make my family struggle. Um, just that's, I don't know if that's selfish. I don't know if that's a selfish thing. I don't want my family to struggle. I don't know. It's I, natural. Yeah. I don't want my family to struggle, who, but who would want that? Yeah. Who would want that? But I also don't want them. I don't want, you know, hey, daddy, I need a new iPhone when I'm 11. Like, no, sorry. You're <laughs> sorry. This is not happening. That, that kind of thing. I mean, I I want my kids to have to work, but I also want the infrastructure of wealth to say, hey, if things get bad, we're okay. That's that kind of thing. Hey, I want to I want to ask. Actually, I want I just want to bring up this topic and see where this goes. So as a sole provider now mm-hmm. for for your family. Mm-hmm. Uh, as, as I went through, um, after, you know, leaving my corporate career and my wife, you know, quote unquote, retiring from her job, which she did for a long time. She's really good at it. Made, made great money. Um, there's, I, I want to explore the, I don't, I don't know if fear is the right, uh, term for it, but the fear motivation behind eating what you kill as a, as a career path. Yeah. Uh, instead of working for an employer and getting a steady paycheck and all that, mm-hmm. like I want to, I don't, th- I don't know that we've ever brought that up on this uh, podcast before. I mean, we've touched on this topic a handful of times. Yeah, but like we've never dug deep into it. I don't, I don't know, and and maybe maybe it's different. Everybody's a little different, but like, wh- how do you feel right now? With things have changed a little bit. You're going on, you're going down a different path. Uh, you have business partners that you're, mm-hmm. you know, probably still getting to know. Yeah. And you're pursuing an asset class that you don't have a 
ton of depth with. Mm-hmm. Um, and you got to provide, right? I mean, yeah. like you still have to pay bills. So it's not like just because you have a bunch of rental properties or storage units or whatever, that doesn't mean that like, oh, it's just rolling in and you don't have to do anything. No, right? no, not, not in the slightest. No. So maybe like what's your mindset with switching from – you know, I mean, it's not like you were living high on the hog in the minor leagues. I understand that. No, no. But I just want to explore that because yeah. it's a different mentality and people are like, oh, I, you know, I want to get in a real estate investor. I want to buy a rental or whatever. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, there's a difference between being involved and being committed. Mm-hmm. Like it's the bacon and eggs thing, you know, yeah, chicken, and, chicken and pig. Yeah. So uh, what are your, what are your thoughts on that? Um, that I mean, that's. That's a big topic. That's a big topic. Um, I, I've, n- I don't think I've ever not eaten what I've killed in my life. If that's a, I don't know if that's a. Well, you're a hunter, so that's, that's true. I'm that's, a hunter. That's but, true. Um, I just, I don't know. I that was part of that was part of the household that I grew up in. I mean, my dad. That was part of our, my dad would offer us, and this is, this is kind of cool. Um, this is just something he would offer us, but he, he would offer us a, uh, a summer wage program, like when we were growing up. So I was playing competitive baseball mm-hmm. and so I didn't really have time to go out to, well, I shouldn't say that I was, I was privileged enough to be able to play competitive baseball. And so my dad offered me this program where I could work for him around the house get stuff done that he really needed to get done, but didn't necessarily have the time to do. And he would pay me a wage for it if I logged hours. And it was essentially a contractor business. Mm -hmm. It was, Hey, I need this row of trees taken out and I need it completely leveled. And I need this, this, and this. And I would do that during a week and I would log my hours and it would get done. And he would say, how many hours did you work? And I would say 20 hours and he would pay me for the 20 hours. And so that mindset has kind of always been there. And I think that's somewhat what I'm trying to replicate with retiring Talia and saying, hey, we have the freedom here to be able to allocate some of those responsibilities the way that we want. And we can we can kind of des- design this the way that we want in order to prepare the next generation. I have no idea what the next generation of American households is going to like represent and it terrifies me. Like it's, it's honestly one of the things that scares me the most. Like I have no idea what my daughter is going to like face. TikTok didn't come out till I was a 25 year old. <laughs> and that like, God forbid a new form of TikTok comes out when my daughter's 12 years old. Like I have no idea what's going to happen, but I want to be able to be in a, in a position where would you kill? I'm able to set the table and say, Hey, this is what's happening. And I can, I can, uh, whether it, yeah, I can, I can design the weathering of the storm as opposed to like we're scraping by. I need you to go get an. I need you to go uh, check bags at Ivy from, from yeah from five to nine tonight. That that to me is like I want to instill skill sets, not uh, I want to instill skill sets, not not uh, ultimatums of like, hey, we're screwed if this doesn't happen. Type of a thing. I think there's a uh, maybe an inherent silent jealousy with people that look at somebody that has started their own business and experienced some success and they mm-hmm. only see, you know, there's that, uh, what is it like one of those successories, uh, uh, like 
posters or prints that you can get mm-hmm. where it's like it has a picture of an iceberg and yeah you know there's like the success is the top of it and then you don't see anything that's all below the surface yeah, which yeah. is like the hard work and the failures and everything else right yeah and you get to a point and it, it and i just i don't know where i'm going with this but like i i know early on i have been motivated by fear a lot in my life yeah yeah i i i fear uh not having enough. I fear not being able to provide. I like that has driven me for a long time. And I don't know why. I don't know why that is. It's not like I grew up poor mm-hmm. or anything like that. My parents did an awesome job raising me and I appreciate everything they they provided me with all, opportunities and and you know, just my upbringing. Mm-hmm. And they were great. And and so it's nothing they did, but I don't know what that where that comes from with me, but I think that's a an unspoken motivator for a lot of people. And I don't know that I have that as much, but it's still there for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. uh, So, so I just, I don't know. I just wanted to touch on that topic because I think it's a, it's a, especially when you have a changing dynamic in the marketplace, like we have right now, where Mm -hmm. people aren't going to be able to do the same things they have been for the last 10 years Yeah, and just kill it because that's you're bailed out by, you know, existed. Yeah. You're here. You're yeah. you happen to be participating in a market that yeah. is unprecedented. Yeah. And now yeah. we're in, in changing times and everybody's kind of like, uh, what's going on? Uh, yeah. I'm watching TikToks, but nothing's happening yeah. happening. But um yeah, I don't know. Like I I just I think if you have the right motivations and it, it and I don't think necessarily that mine's fear now, but it's uh that guided me for a long time. And it's not it's not fun, I wouldn't say. No. Uh I'm a big I'm a big Alex Hermosi guy. I don't know if you are. I don't know if you follow him on any. No, I, media. I. Who is he? He is big social media guy, but he did uh, acquisitions.com. There, there are two very powerful motivators, and probably the more powerful is fear. I would say most uh, successful entrepreneurial minds are motivated by fear. Fear of not being prepared. Fear of not being ready for the situation fear of not being that's me a hundred percent i'm i am 100 percent motivated by fear i when i w- back when i was playing baseball uh colin always gives me crap for this but i'm not like a freak athlete like yeah i'm six five yeah i'm, I'm a big dude yeah i i have good levers i'm <laughs> the dude that i the dudes that i played with i was the bottom of the total pool in terms of like physical specimen like i was very not peak athlete. I had to be the most prepared dude in the clubhouse. Mm-hmm. I had to be the most dialed in on my game plan when I would go out and pitch. I had to be the most like I knew every I knew their lineup one to nine and I knew every single pitch that I was going to throw before I threw it type of a situation. Like I would keep a notebook. We played four games. I, I was that way too. Exactly. Yeah. I was exactly that way. Yeah. So nobody would, could out prepare me. No. Yeah. You weren't going to be out prepared. So like we'd play four game series, and I would keep a notebook. Like if I was the fourth game starter, I would keep a notebook for the first three days of every single batter that would go through. I would log every single at bat. I would log each pitch. I would log each result, and I would go back and I would study it the night before I start. And I would literally have like, I knew exactly what was going to happen before it happened. And that's part. I'm part of the reason. I feel like I'm a good baseball coach because I, I see those things happening in the moment, but back to the real estate thing. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not dumb. I'm blissfully ignorant, but I'm not dumb. (laughs) I, I see the direction that the market's heading. I, I alluded to this earlier in our conversation that, okay, yeah, right now is probably not the greatest time to be wholesaling, wholesaling apartments. So pivoted and said, Hey, what's an asset class that's really cash flow heavy self-storage. 
okay, so I'm going to move into self-storage and I'm going to learn that thing. And I'm, I, I don't know anything about it. I didn't know anything about self-storage six months ago, but I was like, okay, I, I need to learn about it. So what did I do? I went out, signed up for AJ Osborne's mastermind, inner circle, bought into it, have unbelievable content to absorb, have a community of people that I can lean on with questions and stuff like that. And went out and early on bought two assets, really good deals. Went down at, down to Kansas. We bought uh, 26,000 square feet down in Kansas, about 170-something doors of storage, which is the equivalent of 25 multifamily doors probably, just throwing it out there. But in terms of ROI. Um, but I, I n- fear is a driver, and it's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to understand that fear is a driver, but you need to lean into it and you need to understand fear is not always a bad it, it isn't a bad thing as long as you're prepared. It's not a bad thing at all. One of my favorite podcasts ever is Ed Milet interviewing, and I can't freaking remember his name. Dude that killed uh, Bin Laden. You know what I'm talking about? I do. I do it? know what you're talking about, and I okay. – yeah, I cannot. I can't remember the guy's it name. It is one of my. It is one of my favorite podcasts ever. And he literally, he's like, "We got the mission assignment," and I knew I was going to die. And I was like, "That's sick." <laughs> like, yeah, that's that's me. Yeah, I like that. I'm not a Navy SEAL. Like, I can't. Those guys are incredible. Like, I'm not. I'm not going to say that. But like, I I like to see fail or or, or fear or the potential of failure, dying, and being like. Yeah, all right. Let's go. Let's rock. Like, I'm prepared, so I don't really care. Like, let's strap it up and let's go. That's kind of my, I don't know. That's how I'm wired. I don't know how we got there, but that's, you were talking about fear being like a motivator. That's how I am. I mean, yeah, fear is a motivator. I fear not being able to provide to the level that my family needs. And I simply, like, I'm not going to let it happen. It's just, it, it won't happen because, yep, me. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't no, know how I, else to say that. I, I, I get it. I don't know if I'm. I don't know. How I don't know if we're doing the best job of like yeah, describing I, yeah, it, but yeah. I, I, I feel it. Yeah, yeah I, I'm on the same page. Okay, is the guy's name Rob O'Neill? Robert O'Neill? Yes, Robert O'Neill. That's it. Okay, I just yeah. went, I just switched it up on Google. That's absolute <laughs> badass. I mean, that dude fires me up. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Ed Milet has him on him on another podcast I listen to right after the Hermosi one, actually. But hmm. if you have not listened to the Ed Milet and Alex Hermosi podcast, you need to listen to it. That's yeah. good stuff. Let's link to that one. Yeah. That sounds like a good one. <clears throat> well, we're about getting out of time. We're almost out of time. Let's get into the OT with Owen and Ted. All right, Sam Tavis, like Davis. The first question oh, yeah. for you <laughs> is: What will your first book that you author be called or about? I just said, I've thought about this a couple times, but I think it's going to be called Island of Failure, okay? Because of the history in baseball, island, pitching mound, kind of a thing, okay? But the, uh, yeah, you and me right here. But the the context of this book Semi-professional is, is uh, how, how to fail. I mean, when you are the sole responsible person and you screw up, how are you going to respond? And that I feel like I do better than most people. When you screw up, I just that, that's a trait that I feel that I have. I you know how to respond, and so I think responding to failure is something that I feel the common population is it has a tough time grasping. The island of failure. The island of failure. Resiliency. You I got you got to be resilient. 
So one of the things I learned on this uh, personal development journey that I've been on is that um, people are saying, well, the experts are saying that um, failure, it, there's, not, there's no such thing called failure, it's feedback. So if you look at failure as feedback, I love that. that. That's how you actually like grow from the different failures that you go through in life. So that was really amazing to hear. And I think I'm starting to implement that into my life now. So I think that's fantastic. Good stuff. I really do. If you can respond to something as feedback and not failure, you are a step ahead. Ted, what you got? Number two. Number two. What did little Sam want to be when he grew up to be a big kid? And was it, I mean, if you say he wanted to be a pro baseball player, I, I'm, I'm, problem. I'm, I'm, I mean, because that's what, like, because my son thinks he's going to be a, a, a pro football player. The, I would say professional athlete. I wouldn't say baseball because baseball, like I said this earlier, I really didn't know I was good at baseball until I was in high school. Um, professional athlete, though, like I told, I was such a little, you like this word, douche. I was a little <laughs> – I was kind of a douche when I was in middle school. Like, I, I was telling kids, like, oh, yeah, I'm getting recruited. When I was in seventh grade, like, no, I'm not getting recruited. I'm an, I'm an idiot. But I I had a blissful self-confidence that, like, yeah, I was going to make something happen athletically. And uh, that's that's what I went after. So, I, athletics. Me too. Same. Yeah. When you are – at your own funeral, and someone is giving your eulogy, mm -hmm. who is that person, and what do you hope they're going to say about you? Um, I, I hope my wife doesn't kick me in the nuts for saying this. But <laughs> I, my eulogy will be delivered, or my sister. My eulogy would be delivered by my four brothers. Um, I don't know if you've seen the movie Four Brothers with Mark Wahlberg. I have or, seen it, yeah. yeah. So that movie is like one of my favorite movies because it's just a – screw it like these are my brothers and this is it like I'm, I'm 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 doing it i i have a little bit of sense of that with my brothers uh i would literally do anything and everything we strangely enough we were having a conversation before this like <laughs> if something bad happened would you ever <laughs> i won't get there but if something bad happened to my brothers i would turn into a psychomaniac uh, I <laughs> oh yeah we did would. have that conversation i truthfully would um and so my brothers mean a lot to me and i think they know me better than uh, most people, my wife being the only person that knows me better than them. And, uh, yeah, my, my brothers would probably be the ones to deliver that message. I think the quote that you're looking for here is everyone is capable of murder. All it takes is a bad day and the right reason. Yeah. I'm not a murderer <laughs> yet. Yet. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so <laughs> what do you what do you got, Ted? I'm just leave that alone. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> this is live too. <laughs> so when I uh, when I reach out to you 12 months from now, uh, what's yeah. what's your portfolio going to look like? Uh, what do you be investing in, and uh, what's going to be the main topic that we're going to probably talk about here in the podcast? Um, 12 months from now, we will have a bona fide self storage management company that we are vertically in vertically integrated in a capacity that uh is seamless to us we're more executive level and uh, board of directors level where we're managing from kind of i shouldn't i don't know if i should demonstrate it like this but like pup string ish <laughs> type where you know you're high up and you're not in the weeds um 
the idea behind some of the storage stuff was with Levin Wealth, we wanted to create a a branch of vertical integration so that they could bring in storage in some capacity to a private capital situation so that we could balance out portfolios of multifamily. So I would say within 12 months, we will be in a syndicated platform of some capacity, whether that's mixed asset or storage alone. Um, that is the goal. And I think that will be there. Love it. Awesome. What are you looking for in your business and how can our listeners support you? If you have any storage leads throughout the Midwest, uh, send them our way. I'm sure show notes, I can throw my email address in there yeah. or, uh, we can, we or Instagram or whatever. We're constantly looking for, uh, constantly looking for, for acquisitions. We are 10,000 to 15,000 square foot minimum. And, and that's about it. Uh, bring us anything and everything. Uh, and then also, Multifamily, we are still hitting that extremely heavy uh, for 11 Wealth. Uh, primarily, we're looking for greater than 50 units and um, really, again, anywhere that touches Nebraska, Missouri, Kansas, South Dakota, um, Iowa, any of those markets, Texas. Um, we're looking for opportunities in those markets. So if you have anything greater than 50 units, let us know. What mentors in your life would you like to shout out? First and foremost, Probably the wife, Talia. Um, she writes the ship. Yeah. Um, truthfully writes the ship. And yeah, I don't know. I, there's there's too many to say. Brant Chemnitz, my pitching coach. Uh, Ricky Meinhold, the New York Mets guy that signed me. Um, Chris and Colin, Owen, uh, Ted, and the time that we've spent at Night Owl. <laughs> um I would say, uh, uh, alluding, I mean, my brothers, I, I truthfully in every capacity, I look up to my brothers, Jacob, Michael, Luke, Tom, uh, and I'm just going to stop there because I could go on forever. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, uh, we have a special guest that's going to ask a question. Hey, Van, can you hear us? Yeah, I can hear you perfect. You hear me? Yeah. So we got Van Deeb on, phone, uh, on here. Hey, He's live broadcasting. And so Van, do you have a, do you have a question to final up here? You know, I'm just impressed with all of you, you know, the Leavenwell team and all of you guys. I'm just so dang impressed over the years watching you guys build your empires. But I have a question for you. What Was there one thing that inspired you that you can point out, or was there several events in your life that inspired you to be a successful businessman? Wow, that's, a, that's challenging. Um <laughs> One thing that inspired success, uh, gosh, I think Van, I think success to me was a, I don't know if this is a, this is problematic or not, but I think success was kind of a prerequisite in my life. I didn't really want to do anything that was, uh, I felt was just kind of going through the motions. And so I had a desire to make every endeavor that I had successful, um, I'm not sure that that's the right response to that, but I, I truthfully, if I'm going to do something, this goes back to the why that you guys had asked me earlier. I, I don't really have a why I have a why not, you know, if, if there's a, if you ask me why I'm going to do something, why wouldn't I do it? Uh, if I've got the capability to do it and I've got the capability to do it to the best of my ability, why wouldn't I do it and make it the most successful 
um, successful endeavor that I can possibly do. And I can speak to that probably to every single person in Leavenworth. I mean, Chris and Colin have arguably the best work ethic I think I've ever seen on display um, <laughs> of anybody that I've encountered. And I've been in professional athletics for six years. So I, those guys are a tremendous uh, leader leadership team. And uh, I, I think that's probably the – the reason that that group has been successful is those guys on display for everybody to see. You know, I think that, I think that's a great answer actually. And I think inspiration is daily. I think it's an ongoing, but when you hang out like you do with like-minded people, you're going to get where you want to go a lot faster. Mm -hmm. And I'm very impressed with all of you. So thanks for having me on. Hey, thanks man. I appreciate that a lot. Thank you. What a guy. We've never brought somebody in life. Like that. <laughs> that was uh, out that was of the cool. blue. <laughs> Listen, I have been thinking about doing that for so long, and I am so glad that you did that because I think we're going to start doing that from now on. I love it. So that, that, was that was really yeah. good. Yeah. That was well cool. done. Well Look done at time. us. We're all well grows up now. Yeah. <laughs> Who would have thought? Live callers. Well, Sam, uh, from the minute we met, and I know I, I'm sorry I, uh, I spaced off on the baseball side of it, even though I know no, that's your no, tagline, no. but uh, from the point that we met, I know that you'd be awesome on this. I mean, we've, we've talked about this three separate times now, mm -hmm. and I'm glad that mm -hmm. this finally came together, so uh, I appreciate you coming in. Absolutely. Um, I think that people are getting a lot out of the story, and I, there's there was a lot to unpack there, and I, you know, you're you're very modest when it comes to this, because you don't, you don't go around gloating your success. We, people know that you're successful just from being around you and the way you mm -hmm. talk, but people don't know the, the, the level of success and how fast you've been able to do it. And I think that uh, you're definitely going to inspire some listeners and, and going to have people think back kind of like a reality check. Like what have I done in this time and how can I step up my game to be more like Sam? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. And so you're probably gonna get a lot of people reaching out to you, mm -hmm. uh, to you um, with that. Can you tell us uh, what the best way to get hold of you is? Yeah. So, uh, you can email me and I don't know if that's a verbal thing or if I tell you guys to put in the show notes. We'll do both. Okay. Um, you can do Sam at leavenwealth.com. Um, that's probably the easiest way. What's your Instagram handle? The Instagram handle, which preferred method is, uh, Tavis T E W E S like Davis. That's it. <laughs> Tavis like Davis at Tavis like Davis at Davis like Davis, yeah. and obviously you do that for the ease of pronouncing your Correct. last name correctly. Yep, yep. 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 So and we'll and we'll tag uh, you in on our Instagram, also on uh -huh. Rio Radio. So mm -hmm. if you check out Rio Radio, you'll be able to find you there. Well, I thought it would be right to read this review actually from Colin Schwartz. I don't know if we, we read it, but uh, he put great content, entertaining as his title gives a five star review. And he says, the Rio Radio is fantastic uh, with great insights on local trends and national headlines affecting the real estate. The guests are bringing on the top notch. Uh, the guests they are bringing us top notch. Definitely referring to you. And the host asks for deep, uh, thoughtful questions, meaning Owen, and then and then and then entertaining flair, which I'll take credit for. <laughs> and, uh, but thank you guys. Uh, we are now up to eighty four five star ratings on our Apple, and uh, and I think we're at 30, 40, 50 on the other platform. So appreciate it. Please uh, like and subscribe to our channel. It definitely helps us uh, get higher viewership. If you, especially if you're loving the content, we want to share that content out nationwide. But with that, Owen, oh, we see us out. Uh, yeah, I will. And uh, but I do want to call out the listeners here. Okay, I know you are. <laughs> there's a lot of lurkers out there. All right, get off your asses. 
<laughs> and get out there and give us a five star review. Uh, subscribe, okay, and subscribe and share this with uh, multiple people, even your mom. Your mom, come on, listen. Your mom will like time. us. It's about time. Owen yeah. and Ted have been begging. That's what I'm saying. Okay, and who doesn't like a Jamaican act- accent? We all listeners. We know your mom <laughs> will love listening to Denless chime in every once in a while. A Jamaican accent. Yes. Right. On behalf of Rio Radio, Denless Bertrand and Ted Kosh, I'm Owen Dashner. You've been listening to. Sam, the locker room legend, Tavis. Signing off. (laughs) I couldn't decide which way to go with that. Sam, let me be your experience, Tavis. Let me be your experience. (laughs) Sam, Ryan Reynolds, BFF. Or Ryan, sorry, Ryan Pineda's BFF. Maybe that would have been better. I don't know. I thought I think you can go Sam. Woo-ha! I, I have Woo. <laughs> Sam Woo Tavis. <laughs> <laughs>